1: That football, football is doing. Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. Alright, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful Mike's this stuff. Am I going to get sued? We legal on this? I yeah,
0: like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. play now
1: welcome into to the pff nfl podcast steve palazzola sam monson we're live here on a monday morning going head-to-head with good morning football as always on our monday morning sam mm. you know you, are, you can have us both on same you know two screens here but uh it's time to review all of the week nine nfl action they're in uh they're in germany all week they're in germany we're not in germany oh so it's like mid-afternoon over there for them
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is. What's the time change there? Six hours. Six hours, maybe seven, seven hours. depending on where they are. Like, They're in Germany,
1: not just not just on vacation. They're getting ready for uh, Seahawks and Bucks first game in Germany this week. Um, so let's go through it, man. As always, every Monday morning, going through all of the previous day's action. I guess we'll rewind because you seem to remind me to Thursday night football because mm-hmm. everybody wants to hear our thoughts on the Eagles' twenty nine to seventeen victory over the Houston Texans.
0: Yes, I mean my only real thought was being annoyed that they didn't cover despite getting really close. Yeah, you know, but the yeah. Texans—that's me it. for like every game on yeah. Sunday. <laughs> Another not a good week for either of us. Yeah, more so me than you for this time. I, I think because of the push for Tampa Bay, Los Angeles, I I only had three wins, which was one less than you with four. So uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Both it's bad. Um, no, the, the Texans did what they've done pretty much all season which is they make it difficult for you but ultimately the Eagles are just a much better team and you know the the longer the game goes the more that's going to tell and and it did
1: a feisty cover. Uh, Damian Pierce got to uh, run through the defense man he was fantastic again. He's so good. He's so good. And um it might be and he's a running back in the whole thing but you know it might be a little bit of a foundation for the Texans to build upon because you saw the other night outside of uh you know, a big player too by Philip Dorsett. Not much happening with that passing attack. Yeah, I mean, it's sports. worth pointing out
0: they had nobody. They had nobody. They like, had absolutely nobody. Look at the list of players that had a target in this game. Yeah. Philip Dorsett led the team. Uh, Chris Moore, OJ Howard, like this is Brex Burkhead, some guy who sounds like a Portuguese soccer player scored a touchdown for them. Quatoriano. Quitoriano. Yeah, like that's not a that's not a football player. That's a guy that plays you know for Benfica. And yeah. just just bagged a hat trick in the Champions League, like that's not, no stone left unturned in the Texans' the scouting. Out, here. But that's who the Texans were passing to in this game. So yeah, look, D- did Davis Mills look great? No. On the other hand, who's he throwing to? Like this is, this is the same thing we're saying about Aaron Rodgers and you know players like that. It's of true. Of course, Tom, uh, true. of course, Davis Mills is not going to look good when that's his receiving core. Of course, Houston
1: got revenge. In the World Series, what did you predict? Houston in seven? No, the uh, Phillies in seven. seven. We didn't even make it to seven. Sadly. No. Houston in six, including the uh, combined no-hitter
0: hmm. that the Which uh, I Astros heard threw. somebody was saying isn't really a thing. Like, it, of course it is. I mean, I heard people very dismissive of that as a uh, as a thing to say. Yeah, for. like, well, there's no, there's no pitcher, because
1: they, they keep the records by pitcher, usually. So the pitcher doesn't go into the record books as the guy who had the no-hitter. They changed those rules years ago. There was a guy that had like a five-inning range-shortened no-hitter. They said, no, that doesn't count. And uh, there was a guy who lost a game while throwing a no-hitter. He only threw eight innings, but he walked so many guys, and there were errors, so he lost the game. So, uh, yeah, it might not go in the record books as like a no-hitter for a pitcher, but the team gave up no hits. It was good. By the anyway, way, Houston got revenge.
0: In the email, World Series. email us in suggestions for the next charity and for the next charity sort of event thing that we're going to do. A couple of people have suggested, and I agree with this, that, you know, since I had to do the last thing, it's kind of your turn, right? And since I've had to do sports that I've never played twice now, again, kind of your turn. So it feels like we should see what sport you've never played that you can do. You like know? pickleball or something? I was thinking more, I mean, rugby is the obvious one, right? You know, we could find a rugby set of challenges for you to do and see how that works out. Hmm. It feels like fun for everybody. It might be. Yeah. Have to be a good charity. Better be a good charity <laughs> that we're finding well, here. Email us in suggestions. Uh, Podcast at PFF.com. All right, just to wrap up Thursday Night Football, uh, bottom line is Eagles take care of
1: business. They move to 8-0. Uh, once again, showing they're just solid all around. Dallas Goddard and A.J. Brown leading the way through the air. They also ran for their 143. And um,
0: Jalen Hurts making big throws. When needed. First time, by the way, that the Texans pass rush showed up. Uh, like, we have been kind of lamenting the fact that this group hadn't really shown anything this season despite having some players that have that potential. Jerry Hughes had a big game, seven pressures, gave Jordan Mylata all kinds of problems. Um, Nick Sirianni, the coach, was kind of taking personal responsibility for those plays. Like, ah, oh, the protection and the plays weren't on the same. It's like, that doesn't really explain why Mailata just got whooped one of them I think he was looking it was a he was looking for something different and it was a it was like a mental breakdown as opposed to um just getting screwed by Jerry Hughes but he got beat by Jerry Hughes a few times in that game uh in a way that Jerry Hughes hasn't really done much this season but for the first time really this year Houston's pass rush actually showed up and caused some problems
1: yeah problems in the way of losing 29 to 17 to the Philadelphia Eagles the uh, Eagles undefeated talk
0: has started you look at their schedule, it isn't easy to find losses on it. I will say that. They have a very favorable schedule. And, yeah. Okay. The, when the problem good... is what you saw. Like, we just
1: watched the NFL
0: yesterday, yes. right? Like,
1: you just you don't it, that's know. That's the thing.
0: It's not going to be a game where they're not favored where they lose. It's going to be a game against some random team that just shows up that week.
1: They do have to play the Cowboys again, this time presumably not with Cooper Rush. Right. Though. That's
0: the one obvious one where it's like, okay, that could be tough. But, like look at their run it's Washington it's Indianapolis it's Green Bay it's Tennessee okay they look you know like they'll give most teams a game at New York Giants at Chicago okay that's those two games are tougher than they looked earlier in the season at Dallas that's the obvious one and then New Orleans and the Giants again like they will be favored in every single one of those games but such as the nature of the NFL like one of those will be the game that also by the way Depending on how like how many wins they get in a row, they're not going to be playing for anything at the end of the season. They have to want the record to you know get it. Like week eighteen against the Giants, are you going to play everybody if you're already seventeen and zero or sixteen and zero? We're really getting ahead of ourselves here. Sure,
1: but you know, but yeah, I mean, if if you clinch early, which uh, could happen, although the Vikings are sitting there, the Vikings are only one game behind them now. You're seven and one. What well, kind of game and a half? Any um yeah game. Anyway. <laughs> Eagles 29-17. Yes. Over the Texans. Thursday night. No. All right, let's go to the 1 o'clock games yesterday. Let's start with Miami. Dolphins 35, Bears 32. An absolute shootout between Tua and Justin Fields. Mm. Fields picking up 178 yards on the ground. An NFL record for yes. quarterbacks. While Tua continues to find Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Tyreek goes for 143 and a score again. Jalen Waddle, 85 and a score, and the Dolphins offense continues to create oceans of space with those receivers. They are absolutely fantastic. And Tua doing his thing, man. He always he came out looking like a like a distributor, right? Like a guy that was going to get the ball to playmakers if you had them. And now they have them,
0: and the Dolphins are doing it. Yeah, it it's this offense is fascinating because the rest of the league is working through this like. Backlash from NFL defenses of actually being able to stop what's going on, and everybody else is kind of grinding out points and struggling for drives and having problems and Miami appears to have literally it's like a video game where you've just put on a cheat code, right We're going to play this game and insert code that just puts all wide receivers open at all times, and that's what two is dealing with. So when well, we mentioned this on the NFL Daily that we talked about what a leap it is to go from Alabama open to the nfl where the picture is just different you drop back you look up you look at your first read and at alabama he's five yards wide open right it's an easy read you don't have to deal with anything else just put the ball in his general vicinity and he's got so much space it's a wide open completion then you get to the nfl and the margins are much different like the picture you're looking at is completely different he looks like he's covered even when he isn't is back to Alabama Open. Every time he drops back, if, whether it's Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle, there's nobody anywhere near those guys. So he's just pitching catch all day long. And then even when he even when he's inaccurate, and I use sort of, you know, ball location inaccurate. Like yes. it's catchable, but it's two yards under thrown, or it's you know, it's not exactly where it should be. They've got A, so much margin for error because of the separation. But B, guys like Tyreek Hill in particular are so good at the catch point. So he's got just a he's got a bigger margin for error with his throws than any other quarterback in the NFL. In addition to having more wide open receivers than every any other quarterback in the NFL, it is insane what this offense is doing right now. The the complaints
1: early in the season that we had that was legit was late in the fourth it always seemed like it was late in the fourth quarter, but we're just a few weeks removed from him throwing the ball to Pittsburgh's defense a legitimate three times, but four dropped interceptions on Sunday night football. And even though the offense kept moving the ball well, they would stall out and there were some bad decisions in there. Tua has done a much better job of taking care of the ball in recent weeks here. So he's still doing he's still finding open receivers, throwing the ball accurately, but these last two games, much cleaner brand of football here. One was against you know, it was against the Lions two weeks ago, but hey, look, they stepped up against the Packers today. It was against uh, this, or yesterday. It was against the Bears, but this is this is what you're paid to do, right? Dominate these teams that you're supposed to, at least the Dolphins offense versus the Lions and the Bears defense. They should have success, and two is doing a good job there. So um, hitting, the, hitting some downfield throws were needed. Um, I thought he did a nice job. Him and Waddle, the connection where he was rolling out waddle did a great job going back for the uh, coming back for the ball because tua kind of threw it it almost looked like at the safety and waddle went and got it i mean the the fine line in the nfl we see this a lot the fine line in the nfl receivers have to work back to the ball and when they don't they hang their quarterback out to dry and you don't see it all the time like you don't notice that. Um, but Tua rolls out. He throws it basically to the safety. Waddle has to cut his route to go get the ball. It was, it was just
0: awesome, man. But they just
1: the Dolphins just look faster than everybody. and And they are.
0: And they're creating big plays. Yeah, there's a big difference at the NFL level between receivers that are prepared to go and find the football and those that are just going to let the ball come to them. So you can be wide open on a deep shot. And because you're two steps behind the DB... You're just gonna kind of you're gonna wait for it to drop over your shoulder. Like that's the catch you want to make because that's natural. But actually, if that ball isn't perfect, two yards of separation evaporates in a heartbeat. Particularly, you know, when you think about the um, the wingspan and the athleticism of NFL defensive backs. Those guys have a pretty large radius of being able to break up a pass. So even if they're two yards in your wake, if that ball isn't perfect, they can get up and deflect it away before it drops into the bucket that you're creating for it. So you need to go and high point that thing. Like that's why that's such a thing that, that people harp on about. You need to go and high point the football because if you don't, that guy will break it up. And you you just going to high point that thing gets in the DB's way and doesn't let him, you know, elevate and, and make the pass break up. And there's so many plays in a given weekend where you, you see, I think, uh, an incompletion happen that doesn't happen if a receiver attacks the football and that's a big part of when you know you look at why is Aaron Rodgers struggling or quarterbacks like that it's because those receivers they're waiting on the ball they're not going to get it and that's the that's a big difference between you know what Rodgers is dealing with right now and what Tua is dealing with Tua can put the ball in the air knowing that both those guys will go and get it all right a couple key plays
1: here I want to highlight with 7.55 left in the game. So the game is 35-32. Uh, Dolphins win by three. A key fourth and one with uh, just under eight minutes left in the game. The Dolphins go for it. Tua and Durham Smythe not really on the same page. Tua just underthrows it, but announcers we're talking about maybe they were slightly not on the same page. I mean, I but the, like the controversy there, of course, is take the points versus going for it. Had the The, the Dolphins could have kicked the field goal to go up six. Instead they were going for a touchdown right a touchdown essentially ends that game Mm -hmm. and that's why they're being aggressive kind of kept the bears in the game any thoughts on that and then later Tua underthrows a deep ball that would have ended it right these are the ones that like go to social media and it's like Tua's arm strength is an issue and um, it's it's okay for that to be the case Um, I don't think underthrown deep balls are really an arm strength issue necessarily I think it's an accuracy issue it's not like Tua can't throw the ball far enough but he does underthrow
0: the deep ball, is the thing. Uh, so, it's not—I don't think—the deep ball generally is not a good measure of arm strength. Like, that's usually not where— Unless
1: you're, like—like, like Ryan
0: Fitzpatrick put his whole body into it to get it 45 yards he sometimes. Threw his, he, like, Ryan Fitzpatrick just put his whole body into every throw. Yeah, that's true. But, like, it, throwing the deep ball is generally more of a timing thing than it is just an arm strength thing. But where it, what it does do—it's like, you know, we had this conversation— We always have this conversation at draft time, like the balance between accuracy and arm strength, and what arm strength does is buy you a little bit of time to be able to be later on a throw. Like Cam Newton, this was one of the things he was always. This was how he played: is his arm strength bought him extra time to be able to be late on a throw and still get it there, you know, in a way that doesn't exist for quarterbacks with noodles, because you, you just you don't have you can't get it there in that length of time. So Tua's problem. It's not that he can't get the ball fifty yards downfield. It's that his arm can't get it there if he's late on that throw. So if he's going to make that deep ball, he's got to put it in the air with enough time to get it there. Otherwise, it will be underthrown. And at the moment, he's leaving too many. He's late on too many of those throws, and they are a couple of yards underthrown. And he's being bailed out a few times by the fact that Tyreek Hill will still go up and moss somebody at the catch point and turn an underthrown deep ball into a good play anyway. Um there were a few plays in this game where I mean his arm yeah, he just he missed throws or his arm was a problem. I mean that one to Smythe, I think he just missed. There was another one where he kind of got out of some trouble and then tried to fire it back across the field a little bit and again just underthrew it. I it I think it's an inherent part of his game, but who cares? Like he's able to play like this, put up a ton of points you know, play a a game that's going to wind up with an incredible PFF grade. He's going to take advantage of the, the Alabama Open wide receivers in this offense. And clearly, the Dolphins and Tua are good enough to be contenders in the current state of affairs, which is to say, with his arm as it currently is and the offense as it currently is, that's more than good enough, right? But it doesn't mean you just sort of ignore that the arm is a thing. Like, you can't... You can't say just because Miami's cooking and everything's looking amazing that Tua, Tua, Mahomes, and Allen, there's no difference. It's all the same. Well, I mean, come on now. <laughs> let's just let's, let's sort of look at reality here. Like you've got two guys that can make any throw in the book and are never at fault for arm strength and one guy who is. But, you know, the, the results may end up similar, but these are not like-for-like like things we're talking about here.
1: We're still in a spot where Tua and Hurts, the two guys who got A.J. Brown and Tyree Hill,
0: their offense is absolutely cooking right now. Yeah, and then every now and again, you see a quarter of Derek Carr and, and a quarter and of Derek Adams Carr. where it looks the same.
1: Um, real quick, because we're already off pace, but perfect. Justin Fields, unbelievable as a runner, um, still only averaged 4.4 yards per attempt, did throw three touchdowns, but overall, I mean, passing inconsistency remains, but them tapping into his rushing ability, him tapping into his rushing ability, yeah. both designed and as a scrambler. Has
0: absolutely changed this offense. This was also, by the way, like the best passing performance we've ever seen from Justin Fields. Like, okay, you only had like 125 yards or whatever. He had like 50 more rushing yards than he had passing yards, which is weird. But but like the touchdown to uh, Darnell Mooney yes. and everything, oh, just fantastic. Like this was, I think, the, the most assured and kind of comfortable, in-control passing performance we've seen from Justin Fields. And we're now, what, three straight weeks where this offense has looked... Different than it looked previously, which is helping Fields and and you know Chase Claypool. You can see that he he might make a difference to this offense. He's capable of doing some things. I know he didn't put up particularly impressive numbers or anything, but it's an extra target that he actually is worth throwing to. So I am reasonably encouraged by what we're seeing from uh, Chicago. The fact that that offense has functioned now multiple weeks in a row against some pretty legit defenses. They'll be an intriguing team going forward. All right. So Miami moves to six and three. The entire AFC East. We'll
1: get to all of them. The AFC East is all over five hundred.
0: And all all of a sudden, that division's not done. Like Buffalo are supposed to run and hide, and everyone else is playing for second. Miami is not out of that division race yet. All right. We'll get to Jets Bills right
1: now in a second. But first, today's podcast is presented by our newest sponsor. It's Viore, beautiful clothing here, Sam. You didn't wear it's not. You didn't know it was Viore Monday. I need I
0: need some kind of heads up when this is happening. I have multiple pieces of Viore clothing, but I don't. You, you I need timing. I need to be no. I need to be informed when I the bet. read is happening so that I can wear them for the podcast. You have the same document that I have, rather than my my Buffalo versus PFF.
1: Oh, dish. we're gonna get to Buffalo versus P- PFF, but um, Viore is fantastic. By the way, two of two of my best friends are uh, all in on Team Viore, so they're uh, avid podcast listeners. And you should be all in too, because of the versatility, the comfort. They're designed to look great in everyday life, in and outside the gym. Perfect for any workout or activity, and uh, it's easy to find the product that you want on their website. So get over there right now. It's viori.com/pff. Viori is an investment in your happiness, and for our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. You get some of your some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com. Slash PFF. That's v u o r i dot com slash PFF. Not only will you receive twenty percent off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over seventy five dollars plus free returns. Go to viori dot com slash PFF and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. All right, Buffalo versus PFF. Let's do it. Uh, it was really Jets versus Buffalo. Mm. Jets twenty, Bills seventeen. Jets moved to six and three just a half game behind the juggernaut buffalo bills
0: what are your initial thoughts on this game uh so for the third time this season josh allen was very careless with the football um and this is something that hadn't been like a feature of his game for a while like dating back to bad josh allen once he became good He'd really been pretty careful with the ball and hadn't put it in harm's way and, and didn't make really bad mistakes. Like every now and again, I mean, it's not like he doesn't turn over the football, but he's he's ramped up the frequency of like what the hell was that plays over the last few weeks, and you can't do that that much. Like the, as much as the Bills, I think, are still the best team in football generally, you know, in, in abstract terms, but the margins at this level are so fine that you can't, regardless of the disparity between you and the opposition, you can't pitch the ball to the defense multiple times in the game and expect that not to change the outcome. So on the one hand, you had Josh Allen pitching the ball to the Jets defense multiple times. And on the other side, what looked like the biggest concern, i.e. Zach Wilson and that Buffalo pass rush creating those kinds of problems, didn't happen didn't manifest because the jets ended up going into this game with a really concerted game plan to minimize that Let's i say, have some numbers for that too okay right buffalo is the best pass rush in the nfl they're number two i think in pressure rate with the lowest blitz rate in the nfl they have the best pass rush the best front four in the league our offensive line is in ribbons zach wilson is the worst quarterback in the league under pressure this has disaster written all over it so the jets went okay sure you are not going to take more than two and a half seconds to throw any pass. Get it out of your hands immediately. And his, his average time to throw was 2.3-something seconds when his average time to throw this season is over three. like
1: By went, far the quickest of his entire career.
0: Yeah. So he went from one of the slowest average time throws in the league to just get it out immediately and make sure that pass rush does not cause problems. So how do they do that? Well... Zach Wilson dropped back
1: just 28 times. That's it. They had six screens and five RPOs, run pass options, which again are just run plays where the quarterback can pull it and throw. So 11 of his 28 dropbacks were screens or RPOs. All of those plays essentially take the pass rush out of it, right? Because screens, you're inviting the pass rush. RPO, they're playing the run, basically. So he only had 17 other dropback passes. There's a few more play actions in there. There was quick game. Um, and I, look, I think Jets fans are real excited about Zach Wilson, including one in our chat right here who's reminding us that he's 5-0 and this year or 5-1 and or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but and we appreciate you, everyone in the chat. Hit that thumbs up button while you're in there. Mm. Um, say what you want. I mean, Zach Wilson didn't tear it up yesterday, but what he did have was a couple key runs, right, key conversions with his legs, he didn't do what he did the previous week against New England, where he just scrambled to the sideline and threw the ball away almost every single time. And then it's one play, but like third and five, just, to, just before the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter, just a perfect slant. I mean, I, I think we're going to look back at the Zach Wilson So far in the Zach Wilson era, this third and five slant might be his, the throw of his career. Perfect. Slant. It's a third and five slant. But, it, but given the circumstances, the crunch time against the Bills, it was a perfect slant. It was a perfect slant. So Wilson made plays when they needed. I, I'm not saying they won because of him or anything like Sounds that. That's like a pretty low bar. I know it's a low bar. All I'm saying is I'm impressed with his ability to not scramble around completely lost like he had been in recent weeks, executing the simple game plan. And, yeah, the game-winning touchdown was a screen, right? It was a screen. Screen to Michael Carter. The Jets, they've done a nice job getting the ball into their running back's hands. It was a good game plan, well executed I mean, by the Jets.
0: Yeah. Look, I think if we're focusing on Zach Wilson coming out of this game, we're just looking at the wrong thing.
1: I, I'm not I'm not high level saying, hey, Zach, but like he made key plays down the stretch yeah. in this
0: game. But the story of this Whereas game Whereas the MVP quarterback didn't. Right. But the story of this game is, well, number one, the MVP candidate quarterback had a bad had a game that was worse than Zach Wilson. Like that's headline number one is that the great quarterback played like crap right headline number two is that the jets found a way for their not great quarterback to not be a problem like zach wilson was under pressure five dropbacks in this game that against the best pass rush in the nfl that is a far bigger statement than the fact that he simply didn't screw it up even in those five dropbacks he found a way to have a turnover worthy play with a fumble in there right like It's not like Zach Wilson was perfect. Yeah, he had a bad fumble on a Von Miller sack. And that was a classic Zach Miller play, right? It's a, uh uh-oh, pressure, let's run out into the flatten. Oh, I've been sacked from behind. Zach Wilson, yeah, yeah. It's a turnover, right? Like, these are... So, they simply found a way for those plays not to exist in this game, which is a coaching success. So, which is a story of the the Jets' season. They have been a very well-coached team, which continues. So... Incredible credit to Robert Sala and that coaching team, both sides of the ball, came in with really good game plans. Um, I, I just don't think that Zach Wilson is a, is a feature to focus on coming out of this game. It's every other part of the Jets' team. Yeah. Offense, defense, and coaching was fantastic in this game. Their pass rush is really good. Why are people still testing Sauce Gardner deep? Like, stop throwing the ball at him. That being said, that was a lot of contact in that last play, but whatever. Sauce Gardner looks fantastic. That was the hand Jets. fighting. Stop it. That was hand fighting. Hand fighting isn't a thing except just a term people throw at to explain contact. Like, it's not... They were, they were fighting with their hands. Yeah. Um, contact. So anyway, Jets' defense was really good again. But those are the two big storylines out of this game for me. Number one, the Jets did a fantastic coaching job. And number two... For the third game this season, Josh Allen has just been way too careless with the ball.
1: So you're saying it's the third game. I think really, though, this is six straight quarters of careless football from Josh Allen. The second half against Green Bay, where he put the ball in harm's way after they dominated in the first half. Mm -hmm. Second half against Green Bay on Sunday Night Football, carried over into this week. Their very first drive. I mean, we're not even a minute into the game. Josh Allen's rolling out into the flat. I don't know what he's seeing here. No. He throws the ball right to the defense on the very first drive for an interception. Um, There's a strip sack in there, a little bit tough. That was, you know, pass rush issue coming off a play action protection. And then the other interception, um, look, Sauce is fantastic at everything. Allen threw the ball right to him again, right? Threw the ball right to him. Um, Initially I thought, hey, it's pretty good disguise. It wasn't really even disguised. Sauce did a a great job. well, not even great job. Just kind of redirects the just sinks receiver into space
0: and, and grabs. like Sinks into
1: cover two. It looks classic.
0: Like that's the kind of play that rookie quarterbacks make in the NFL because they don't see cover two in college, right? Yeah. it's like, like Jared Goff had one of these. It's like what this is. What I'm saying. Josh Allen went from doesn't really make bad mistakes at all. Like whatever he's doing, it's you can it's it's the right thing. And every now and again, there'll be a mistake or whatever. But it's all of a sudden the last few weeks we've seen these plays where it's like what are you what are you doing like this is not this is bad Josh Allen again this is what you were doing years one and two when you were playing badly and we couldn't work out if you would ever become good you know it was obviously the physical talent was there you could make every throw but you can't make throws like this he hasn't been making these for the last couple of years and then multiple games this year they have shown up and these are fairly inexplicable these are bad I mean, there's another one
1: decisions in in the fourth quarter that got dropped in a tie game right you're sitting there at 17 17 trying to lead the comeback and and he throws it right to the defense gets dropped um so this is you know the people the people that complain about uh are we really evaluating almost interceptions yes because almost interceptions become future interceptions they're predictive and uh, that's what we saw here. Allen had gone away with something. I mean, he's gone away with stuff throughout, even when he was playing great. Well, so um, but these are coming in bunches. And like you're saying, there's a difference between Josh Allen's really aggressive and trying to make tight window throws. These are blatant misreads of coverage that he's, that he's making right now. This isn't like, oh, he's, got, he's just trusting his arm too much. He's not seeing it mm. on, on some of these
0: plays. The first game Allen had with a bunch of almost turnovers, he had six turnover-worthy plays in that game against Miami where they lost, right? Zero interceptions. So if you were like, oh, almost plays don't matter. Ignore them. Well, okay. But the next time he had multiple turnover-worthy plays was that game against Green Bay, which resulted in two interceptions. The next time was this week where he had multiple turnovers. So they, they tend to matter. Like if you're almost turning the ball over a lot eventually you're going to actually turn over the ball a lot because you know you, c- you can only throw the ball at defenders so many times before they start catching them i misspoke earlier it was james robinson on the uh, game winning touchdown
1: you asshole. on the screen i apologize but michael carter the running back really nice game for him they got robinson involved a little bit i mentioned wilson with his legs uh, the Jets did a good enough job there other than, getting those running backs involved and moving the ball.
0: Other than the play where Garrett Wilson just decided to throw it away whilst running, he looked really good.
1: Yeah, Garrett Wilson, there's a couple plays, like release
0: off the line on a seam route. He had the one-handed catch out of bounds. Um, right Wilson, after that. Th- like I don't understand how the same hand makes those two plays. Just running like that, the ball just pops out of his hand. and then, That wasn't like, exactly, though. He was, was pump-faking. He thought he was going to throw it. But he, no, day. no, he pump-faked it a couple of times, and then, like, it just came out. But that just lost the handle of the ball while it's running. And then, like, either the very next play or two plays later, he catches that ball, just stabs it out of the air one-handed, <clears throat> one-handed in the end zone and can't come down in bounds. Like, how does the same hand make those two plays? It's a good question.
1: It is. Wilson ends up with... Um a modest I mean it's a good stat line eight catches for 92 but he's doing he looks special yes I think Wilson first round pick him and sauce Gardner their top two first round picks both look he had a really nice special. play
0: early in the game where he just caught like a simple out route and then immediately like swipes Kyrie Elam to the floor like yeah matadors the man Elam's lying on the turf and Garrett Wilson is getting first down yardage like he's just so good uh, Jets solid
1: pass rush once again. Getting to Josh Allen, uh, Sheldon Rankins had a strip sack in there. So just a good all-around effort from the Jets, taking it to the Bills
0: broken, and making uh, things really interesting in the AFC East. Broken sky cam in this game. And it was a broken sky cam. Full delay because the sky yeah. cam like a cable fell off or something. Like moving fans and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into maybe on the Wednesday show. We'll talk about the sky cam delay for ten minutes. The oh, absolutely. Um Diggs got Sauce right at the start of the game with one one nice. It was like literally first play, right? I think. Yeah, 42 yards right behind him. Yeah, so that was obviously one of the... Challenge sort of, him deep if you, you know, get him on a little double move early. Eh, That's when you do it. Yeah. I mean, at least don't, not when it's man, you know, single one-on-one coverage, press man the whole way. That, don't test him on those plays.
1: Yeah, Sauce isn't going to end up with a 90 or anything, so don't don't complain. Yeah. I mean, he, did get, he did get beat for a 42-yarder, had the interception, had the late call it a pass breakup he was at least at the catch point mm-hmm. but um and he's awesome sauce Gardner's awesome
0: yeah i mean look he looks like one of the best corners in the nfl already already very impressive all right let's wrap up the afc east just because we have to
1: a new england patriots 26 just because we the have colts to. three and um i'm i'm big on not overreacting on a monday morning okay i'm big on that i like to take in all the information and not jump it you know not not go through the same issues that other people go through and overreact, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't know that Sam Allen goes the answer for the Colts. Hmm. Feels hasty. Finishes with 103 gross passing yards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's the official gross, term. as in uh, you know not net or as in disgusting. It's called a double entendre, Sam. Ah, it's both. I get it. As in not net, and this game was disgusting. Gotcha. But then you take off 60
0: for the nine sacks it's quite a lot of Ellinger it was ugly man well yeah look I mean the Colts offensive line apparently still stinks so that's a problem um and and the idea that oh you just put a more mobile quarterback back there yeah that's not how things work no so like I mean look I from a Jim Irsay slash Colts point of view I get it like Matt Ryan behind this offensive line is just hiding to nothing all season long he's going to get killed it's going to be ugly it's bad i i get trying to see if ellinger will do better because you know he's mobile he can get out of some trouble he can make some plays despite the pressure but he's also a lot worse than matt ryan so what you gain in the mobility and the potential to make a play on the move you probably lose by the fact that he's a bad quarterback and not you know a borderline hall of famer for his career Albeit one who's at the end and declining and whatever. But, you know. But you get the move. Like, I get the move, Yes, I I I do get the move. But I think it's fairly obvious that it's not a fix. Like, Sam Ellinger is not a good quarterback. Has never really been a good quarterback. And the chances of him, like, elevating what is a pretty bad team is fairly minimal. Josh Uche getting to the quarterback a ton. I mean,
1: it was just a dominant effort by the Patriots. All that said, you know, it's early early in the game when it was still close. One of the key plays, Jonathan Jones with a blocked punt. Really, do you see the blocked punt? It was really a sneaky play. Hmm. Comes in from Vice, sneaks in, attacked the Colts' protection, timed it up perfectly. They blocked the punt. Um, Dominant. This is one of my few predictions, right? Dominant, old-school type of Patriots win, where they just from start pretty much from start to finish, the defense, special teams, all that said, Mac Jones on the other side still looks terrible.
0: Yeah, and I think Awful. in And the Patriots are two and zero the last two weeks, which has to be the only reason this isn't like one of the headlines of the, the NFL week, right? Is they scored twenty six points was the last was the last one pick six? Yeah,
1: they had a pick six in there, so the offense scores nineteen points. They got short fields and all that stuff. If the Patriots l- defense had not been unbelievable the
0: last couple of weeks there's more of a storyline about Mac Jones, terrible. And also, I mean, last week he was just, he was like, in fact, both weeks, both the last two weeks, Mac Jones has played terribly, but has been the better of the two quarterbacks, which has to help, right? Like as bad as you think I was, the other guy was worse. Zach
1: Wilson was worse last week. Sam Ellinger was
0: worse yesterday. But Mac Jones is reaching the point where, okay, I was saying right at the start that we, we weren't going to get enough runway to see if Bailey Zappi was a better option and but mac jones is like playing his way to the bench at this point man i don't know he's not doing any of the things that were the reason why he was the better option you know
1: yeah everything looks off with mac jones i mean his passes are dying um he almost had a turnover worthy completion just throws into coverage jacoby myers almost wins it he, last year you didn't see mac jones just miss a ton of throws he'd have his rookie boneheaded decision in there but he was very accurate and decisive and yeah. now it it really is like if he's coming off his first read it's trouble and general accuracy is just not there sailing passes passes are dying on him um it's interesting because there's like baker mayfield are we going down this baker mayfield path where like baker's first 8 or 10 games i don't know if it was the best stretch of his career but it was one of them, and Mac Jones might be in this in this point where his first eight or ten games are the best play that we've seen from him. And why is that? Right? Uh, you know, it's supposed to go the other way. He's supposed to get better. Yeah. While you know you've got the guys that have better tools, right? The the knock on Mac Jones doesn't have the tools. Well, right? p- the guys that have better tools, even though it's not night and day, but Fields. A little bit of Zach Wilson, a little bit of Trevor Lawrence, like you're starting to see their ability
0: show up a little bit more. But that becomes a real problem when you're playing badly because that you don't have the team doesn't have the same reason to stick with you as it does with other quarterbacks. So Baker Mayfield, for all of his faults or positives, was the number one overall pick, still has a cannon for an arm, much though there's a group of people that always seem to disagree with that. Baker Mayfield has an elite arm and was the number one overall pick. Clearly, the team is tied to him in a fairly significant way, even when he's going to play badly for a stretch. Mac Jones was a mid-first-round pick with marginal physical tools across the board, right? He's not bad physically, but his arm is average. His athleticism is average. There's nothing above average about his physical skill set. So if Mac Jones is going to start making bad decisions and just not be efficient with the ball... You're not tied to him the same way you would be if he was the number one overall pick, or if he had the physical tools to be great. You're like, okay, the thing we were hanging our hat on here was your mental ability and the, the kind of the square foot of real estate above your shoulders. If that's gone, what are you bringing to the table right now? Because I already have one of those guys that I got in the, you know, at the bottom of the draft sitting on the bench. <laughs> what are you bringing to me right now? That's the situation Mac Jones is in, is that he, he right now he's not bringing anything to the table that's different from the career backup future that Bailey Zappi brings. Yeah, it's it's
1: just something to keep an eye on, man, because, look, I think if you know, the uh, Patriots head to their bye week, they come out playing the Jets, Vikings, and Bills. Three tough games. They still have the Bengals on the schedule, still have the Dolphins and Bills Again, right down uh, in those last two games. I really think if Mac Jones doesn't play well the second half of the season, we're talking about. Well, I mean, he's either getting benched for Zappi, who, whatever, Zappi's got the same limitations like you're saying, and we saw that on Monday Night Football. He's either getting benched or we're talking about the Patriots looking for a new quarterback maybe at the end of the season. That's that's legit. Yeah. Um, All at the same time, we've had all these discussions with guys like Tua, right? With Daniel Jones, with, you know, so players turning around too, but. It's an underrated story right now. The Patriots offense, or pass game at least, looks, looks terrible. But they, uh,
0: they've won four out of their last five. He's going on a very long run of not looking good, which is problematic. Like It's not even like we've hit an inconsistent patch of ups and downs. Like This has been a long run of just being bad. And at some point, something needs to change to snap him out of that. Um, Ellinger, by the way, went like 25 minutes of game time before he got his first completion in this game. So that wasn't good. It felt uh, like it. Ramondre Stevenson had another great game. Like he lost in all this. There's a lot of quarterbacks not playing particularly well. There's a lot of bad offense. There's a lot of running backs playing really well in the NFL right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I like I like watching a good run game. We don't talk about no, it as don't. much because it's less valuable. I like watching a good run game. Liar. It was fun watching Derrick Henry in the first, well, the second quarter only last night in that, uh, in that game. All right. Where are we going next? Let's go Lions 15, Packers 9. Okay, fifteen to nine, Lions win. They move to two and six, just a half game behind the three and six Packers.
0: Yeah, it's all falling apart here in Green Bay. It is like coming into this game, it was like, is this a get right spot for the Lions? For the, I for called the it as a
1: get right. I mean, listen, and it made every, sense. Everything makes sense, right? You're in the dome. You're going to throw the ball well. Lions have an historically bad defense. Get right game for Green Bay. Yeah. That's who I picked. I was wrong.
0: Yeah, it, it made all the sense in the world. Like, not because... So the problems that ailed the Packers' offense were always going to still be there in this game. It's like, they have no receivers at Rodgers' Trust, and that makes everything worse. I think that is the, the crumbling foundation stone to everything that's wrong with the Packers' offense. Now, does that mean that there are no other issues? Of course not. But I think it, that's the biggest one that is sort of having knock-on effects of everything else, right? Like, a crumbling foundation leads to cracks appearing up in the roof up here it doesn't mean that the like you know they're interconnected so rogers playing like crap is because he has receivers that aren't in the right place at the right time that he doesn't trust all these things like that's the root cause so that was always going to still be here in this game like they didn't find anybody else did you by the way i so i get up on sunday and you look at you know news or Schefter or whatever like all of a sudden, there's stories everywhere about everybody that the Packers tried to trade for before the deadline. Yeah. It's like, oh, they offered a first-round pick for DJ Moore. They were right on the cusp of getting uh, um, the Steelers. Chase Claypool. Yeah, Chase Claypool. We tried. They tried to get Darren Waller off the Raiders. Like, we yeah. tried to get everybody. We tried, yes. Happen. We tried. It's like, did that coincidentally all come out today, or did somebody at Green Bay just go, flood the... Get them all out. Throw all the stories I, out. Because we're about to get hammered for not getting anybody.
1: I saw a little bit of Rich Eisen showing their behind the scenes. Did you see with uh, Michael Irvin? Yeah. He was saying, um, I, I could only listen to like bits of it, but he said before they go, before the hit, right, before they're live on the air, hmm. Irvin gets like fired up. So he's like at the table like we would be yeah. off air. And he gets himself all fired. He gets himself into what we call the Burmeister. Paul Burmeister, who teaches us, who taught us at a young age, Sam, how to bring energy to the table when we're talking about stuff. Irvin's got this, right? Oh, He's yeah. got natural energy. Oh, yeah. But he fires himself. He's getting himself fired up and worked up about how the Packers did. I don't care what you talked about. I care about what you did. All this stuff. Yeah. And then he just, like, brings it right to, the, right to the hit. I just thought that was great, Eisen showing that. Um,
0: yeah, so anyway, my point being that that was never going away because they didn't get any of those deals. It was done. a, P- if, a if PR If, in fact any of those deals were even attempted as opposed to, let's quickly put them out. But they went into this game with exactly the same wide receiver group as they'd had before this game. So that part was never going to move. But the Detroit Lions have an abysmal pass defense. They're 32nd in the NFL, i.e. dead-ass last, in EPA per play as a defense. They stink as a defense. So you're like, that part... Can actually work. You didn't get any better in terms of wide receivers, but your wide receivers are going up against a terrible defense. So let's cook. Play number one. Like, Dobbs goes down. Hobble looks pretty bad. He might be done for a while. Um, So immediately, arguably your best wide receiver is gone and your group already stank. Um, And then it's just, you could just see it's going bad across the board. Like, Sammy Watkins is never in the right place at the right time. That final interception, one of three for Aaron Rodgers. Um, he you could see how annoyed Rodgers was because whatever Watkins was supposed to run, I think he was trying to get to what he was supposed to run, He his release off the line essentially took that play off, right? It's like... Are you saying he was looking at Watkins and he came back to the middle? No, he, he was trying to shoot for Watkins, but Watkins was supposed to run a post, but he released outside. The last incompletion. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, last, so last
1: play of the game, it's fourth down, game's on the line.
0: Yeah, so he Watkins releases to the outside, was probably supposed to be running the post that he tried to run, but because he released to the outside against physical contact, he was never going to get there. So Rodgers is like, oh, to hell with it. He released outside. It's one-on-one still. I'm going to give him a shot. And then he tries to break back to the post anyway and Rogers like what are you do no, you can't can't go back to that after you screwed up the release and put yourself on the like, No. And so they're just not on the same page.
1: I and mean, that was a glaring one if you're really watching. It look you know, at first glance it's like, Oh, Rogers missed the throw, but obviously Watkins and him are not on the same page on that one. The most glaring one was at the goal line when Watkins ran a slant and Rogers threw a fade, like a one step yeah. fade, and Watkins ran a slant and there was just nobody there. Right.
0: But these, like, so these are plays where this is the crumbling foundation, right? But the crack in the roof is, like, Rodgers underthrowing David Bakhtiari, of all people, down by the goal line for an easy touchdown. Like,
1: even that stuff's missing, right? In in 2020, it was year two of Matt LaFleur, and I could not be more impressed with their low red zone just scheming it up, right? I mean, Rodgers had a million touchdowns. Rodgers played great that year, but he had... So many gimme touchdowns. They were using motion and misdirection and play action and play action off jet sweeps and all these different things. They even did a few weeks ago against the Giants. They had one of these. I mean, this was like, all right, let's go. Fourth and one, trick and Rodgers underthrows
0: Bakhtiari by but a mile to Aiden case Hutchinson. Of, like, this is where people analyze the results, not the process. Like, I saw people crapping all over that sequence. So, by the way, think about how that happened, right? Like, they they had. A oh Alan Lazard, yeah, absolutely was this close, so Lazard, like sons Jeffrey Akuda, just dominates him on that route, like people are like, oh, it's a push off, no, that was like general contact throughout the route. Akuda just winds up on the floor, Lazard dominates him, gets down inside the one, uh, and then that was the f- the f- first, second, third, and fourth, and one sequence um but the the So it went shotgun, run out of shotgun, right? Then it went the fade slash um, slant, and then went run out of shotgun again, and then fourth and one trick play. But like, so people were ripping on that sequence. It's just, oh, that's just terrible play calling. But like running out of shotgun generally is a way to spread out a defense, keep them away from blocking up the points of attack, um, reduce the number of bodies at the line, and all you're looking for is a yard. And Green Bay has two of the best running backs in the NFL, so that makes perfect sense. The goal line fade slash slant, okay, look, I don't like goal line phase as a general concept, but, like, the fact that it's a slant slash fade is, in theory, should mean that you're right, whatever you do, right? Because you're literally targeting where the defender isn't, right? Only they weren't on the same page. So, again, I don't love that as a play, but it makes sense. Uh, And then the fourth and one play worked, They had David Bakhtiari, okay, he's a left tackle, we can debate that, but they had a guy wide open in the end zone, and Rodgers just underthrows it by like three yards, and then Aiden Hutchinson makes a good play to get in the way and pick it off. But like, that play calling is fine, it's just not working anymore. Yeah. It was bad, man. I mean, those, the two, you're right,
1: the play calling, like two runs at the goal line, Not bad. That's where the the Lions defense really stepped up. They held A.J. Dillon to 34 yards on 11 carries. They held uh, Aaron Jones to 25 yards on nine carries. Aaron Jones left the game banged up at one point. Um, Rodgers finishes with three interceptions for the first time since 2017. The first one he threw right off of a Lions helmet bounced up in the red zone. So that's the bottom line here. That's like a bad throw by Rodgers. Like, don't throw it off the helmet. But the fact that it's picked, a little bit of bad luck. The Bakhtiari underthrow in the interception. And then the people were calling it a third I mean, it was at like the twenty-three or whatever, but it was an interception at the goal line. Yeah. Great play by Kirby Joseph, the rookie safety. Kirby Joseph
0: at the game of his life. Yeah. The guy had multiple interceptions, right? He also had a diving pass breakup on a play, I think it was a deep shot to a little underthrown to Ray. To, to Ray. Yeah. yeah. Who and this is a perfect example of what I was talking about before. Like the the um wingspan or the, like the area that you have to cover to get to a pass breakup is significant as a DB. So Toure is ahead of him. He's going to make the play. He's waiting for it to drop. And then Kirby gets his hand up and deflects it away. And that's a touchdown saving pass breakup in addition to his multiple actual turnovers. So uh, all the while, Jared Goff, you know, the the Lions
1: offense, I mean, there was a point where they weren't putting any, they weren't moving the ball at all. Goff threw an interception. Rodgers came back with an interception. It was was a little back and forth as far as putrid offense goes. Packers defense overall played really well. But, man, 15 to 9. We're just, we're very close. I mean, the Packers, the Packers schedule, man, is tough. They're playing the, the Cowboys next week. And we're very close. So here's who the Packers have. Cowboys, Titans, Eagles, the next three weeks. Still have to play the Bears again, who we know are tougher than they were. The Rams. Uh, Where did I? I just lost myself. They still still have the Dolphins and the Vikings and then the Lions again. I mean, we're like one or two losses away from the whole thing really collapsing. We're close. The whole thing really collapsing. And then us talking about, are the Packers going to be picking in the top 10? And are they are they looking to draft C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and Will Levis and whoever else is available? Yeah. And like, we're close to talking about the Packers in a top 10 pick at quarterback
0: because they're sitting here at 3-6. and six. Eli Berkovitz had a tweet that said, as if today wasn't bad enough for the Packers, Aaron Jones is in a walking boot romeo dobbs and eric stokes are both in walking boots and on crutches so in addition to a game where they lost they looked miserable doing it rogers had his first three interception game in like three years they also lost players to injury and pretty important ones um so yeah this is this is about as bad as it gets for green
1: bay You know what's not bad is underdog fantasy. Even though best ball mania has ended, underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick'em game. Just look at your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than the number in this week's game, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up with promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. That seems like a no-brainer. Go check it out, Underdog Fantasy. All right, where else are we going here? Let's go to Minnesota. So stay in the same division here. Minnesota 20, Washington Commanders 17. Minnesota moves to seven and one. A closer, a closing team. A fourth quarter Kirk Cousins team, another fourth quarter comeback. And another, uh, you know, nice video of him dancing with chains on the... uh, More chains. On the plane. Keep loading up the chains. When Mac Brown came out of retirement at UNC, I, I know there's other coaches that go viral for dancing and all that stuff. Mac Brown comes to mind. The guy's like 80 years old. They're like, hey, you know... Do this, do this cool new dance or whatever. and We're gonna make it go viral. That's like Kirk Cousins after every win here. Make it, Vikings making him uh, do this f- man his chains. Do fun stuff. What a great game this was. Taylor Heineke, the arm punt, arm punt of the season. A throw into triple
0: coverage. I think it's Mark Sanchez who was in this game because I, he's used this phrase before and I love it. Mark Sanchez described that throw as it was a throw into a defensive team meeting. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what it was. There was three Vikings players up there and an official. And it turned out the official was the thing that saved it because the official takes out the safety that was about to pick it off. And then Curtis Samuel winds up winning a catch into double coverage as opposed to triple coverage and turns it into a touchdown. So that was like a turnover-worthy touchdown. That turned this – So it went from like the game was Minnesota's comfortably – and then a weird, like, sequence of plays. All of a sudden, they're behind and trying to drag this game back. You, you and I have, have both
1: uh, had on-air, like, an on-air coach at various times. It feels like, uh, since, you know, we, we know the inside baseball here, Sanchez is pretty good. I think he's all right on-air. Um, it feels like whoever's coaching him is like, hey, Mark, lean into the metaphors. Lean into, uh, like you, you know, lean into the metaphors. Because He just like rattles them off. I just that's
0: a really good phrase. That like one's that good. One. That one's good. So the Vikings score early, they're seven and up, and then the end of the half sequence was kind of wild because they're going to score another touchdown. It's a deep pass, <clears throat> deep pass into the end zone to Justin Jefferson. It's a contested catch. All of a sudden, Washington turned what was a touchdown into an interception, like a contested ball bounces to the second guy. And it's an interception, no points instead of seven more points just before the half. So Minnesota almost scored to, to make it a, a real problem for Washington, ends up turning it over. Um, Benjamin Sanjouis, I think, was the guy breaking it up. Then Washington gets a nice return because they get the ball at the start of the second half. They get a nice kick return on the, the opening play. And then Heineke throws up that turnover-worthy touchdown. So in the space of three consecutive plays, Minnesota has gone from about to go up two scores to all of a sudden you're behind Yeah. based off three pretty crazy plays in, in direct sequence either side of the half. Like that's how important these just either side of the half plays are. There was also a negated
1: pick six in there. That wasn't really a game changer. I think that was, it was a penalty on the, on the play. I don't think that was ever going to be, I don't think like it was lucky or anything for, for Cousins, but it was one of those for a minute you thought hey Washington's running away with this thing Um, we had mentioned in the pre-show on our preview podcast Jonathan Allen wreaking havoc on the interior for the Vikings you saw a lot of that right like even when they're open receivers just pressure bearing down on Cousins Jonathan Allen did have a monster game but you're right like the Vikings score early and then they didn't score again until the fourth quarter when it was when it was time and Cousins just dropping dimes in there he had a he had a a few big-time throws hit Adam Thielen on a, on a bomb, but fourth quarter hitting Justin Jefferson down the sideline or you know down the field. Um, the first throw to Justin Jefferson, by the way, the first touchdown to Justin Jefferson, also fantastic. Yeah. But then you're talking Cousins to Dalvin Cook on a little double move on the goal line, really perfect nice way. throw. Um, yeah, Catch as well. Yeah, and Dalvin's not always. I love Dalvin Cook. I think he's so explosive. My old comp was was Fred Taylor. I, I don't. I don't think Fred Taylor, they're similar, right? Like, you didn't always want to just line Fred Taylor up wide. I don't think Dalvin Cook is the guy that wins out wide like a Christian McCaffrey, like a real, you know, like a great receiving running back. But he did in this case. Like, every now and again, you would see Fred Taylor pull out one of those incredible receiving plays. That was Dalvin here, one-handed catch, and that sealed the
0: deal for the Vikings. It felt like Washington, their defensive line— I, I need to watch it again to figure out exactly what they were doing over the course of the game. But looking at it live, it was like they were trying to scheme Deron Payne one-on-one with Ed Ingram because Ed Ingram has been the weakest link on that Vikings offensive line and has struggled a lot. And they were kind of putting Jonathan Allen in the A-gap so that the center had to help. And all of a sudden, Deron yeah. Payne is one-on-one with Ingram. and But Ingram actually played really well. He actually dealt with that r- perfectly fine. Deron Payne didn't have a... Tremendously great game. He had a sack, but Ed Ingram had one of his best games of this season. But Jonathan Allen, in what appeared to be the sort of the move to help somebody else, was just dominating anyway. So Allen was causing all kinds of issues for Ezra Cleveland on the other side, and that was like their biggest thing. Um they freed up Montez
1: Sweat, Anastan too. He had seven pressures. I mean, th- I thought the Washington's defense defensive front looked great. They, they still got, really good. Yeah. They got
0: terrible quarterback play again. And then the other thing is, staying in the trenches, Zadarius Smith over the last few weeks has been starting to really cook and getting back towards his best play. Okay, he didn't have a sack in this game, but only because he got it taken away by some really unlucky slash harsh uh, yeah. face mask penalty. Like, he grabbed hold of the guy like in, in the pads up front, but on the way there, his thumb, like... When nicked, it like grazed yeah. the face mask and bent it down for a split second, and then it came out, and they call face mask for that. But he had nine pressures in this game. He's been absolutely cooking in pressures over the last few weeks. Um, he's like uh, Darnell Hunter hasn't quite got quite gotten back to his best play, but Darius Smith has. And those well, people two, are going to say Hunt, Hunter had two sacks. Yeah, I know, but
1: you know, and both of them were dominant. Yes, that was pretty much it as far as wins go. That's that's fine.
0: I mean, but. The two wins were awesome. I'm talking not, not just this week, but yeah, you know, general. over general this season, Zedaria Smith is the better of the two pass rushers. But the point is, those two getting anywhere near their best play makes a significant difference to that defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Washington, they were gifted the first touchdown. There's no doubt about it. But it was an opportunity, man. It was an opportunity for Washington to get to 5-4 and four in this wide open – I mean – weird NFC. We'll also say it a weird way, NFC.
0: Part of Minnesota not scoring again, you know, until late or not kind of running away with this is Justin Jefferson failed on a few contested catches that would have been I mean they're uh, they're pivotal plays in the game. Um one of them was that uh the touchdown that became an interception before the half. There was another one late that would have been a touchdown that was broken up. Like they're not they're plays that you don't sort of it's not like a drop right where it's like this is in his hands he drops it it's a bad play by the wide receiver but these are plays that Justin, all three of them that i can think of off the top of my head are plays that justin jefferson could have made and has made in the past and didn't make in this game so he had five contested targets in this game caught two of them like justin and at least i think all three of the ones i can think of that were incomplete are all three of them are plays Justin Jefferson is well capable of making like if he makes one of those it's an extra touchdown on the board for Minnesota so would you say this is one
1: Minnesota is actually better than the scoreboard better in this game than the scoreboard would indicate three-point win you gotta you gotta come away with the win but Minnesota fine line here and they played better than maybe the 20 to 17 score would indicate
0: uh yeah, maybe. I mean, if you give him an extra seven points and you say it's a 27-17 game, it's like a routine win. And Is that your thinking.
1: adjusted score?
0: Yeah, yeah, the adjusted score. That's good, yeah. Um, and nobody's thinking about it. So I guess, yeah, I, I think that's probably fair, given, I mean, the, th- given the throws to, um, to Justin Jefferson that didn't come off that usually do.
1: I mean, you take away pass interference by the referee. Yes. And Taylor Heineke has 100 passing yards, minus 23 Right, you've got seventy seven net passing yards outside of the forty nine yarder that took place right. on the throw into the defensive team meeting, as you said earlier. It's so it's
0: fascinating that when you like, they kind of pitch it over it's Blandino, right? They pitch it over to Dean Blandino and it's like, Yeah, that's just you know, the officials on that's just it just happens. They're like, I mean it doesn't feel like it should, you know. I'm yeah. not sure you can just explain that away by going, eh, sometimes the official's gonna take out your safety. You <laughs> just have to live with it. Go, it what? That's not acceptable. I mean, there's a lot of feel back there to aim for, you know? Yeah. Be somewhere else, anywhere else. You're also, most of the refs
1: aren't like the most nimble guys in the world, which is so all the a reason yeah. to just not be where the safety They're is. They're not the twitchiest guys in the world. They're just going <laughs> to, like, oh, let me just shake these three safeties running at me. <laughs> just, I mean, there's, there's three defensive backs in the area. Yeah.
0: But it's just the, the sort of nonchalance with which we can dismiss. The safety taking out a DB, back, back, like,
1: judge, does, back judge doesn't play well in a phone it's booth.
0: Like, yeah, it's just a you know it's just a hazard of playing football. You just got to live with it, defenders. move on. Like, or we could, we could say that's a pretty big mistake by the official, and maybe focus on that for a second.
1: Man, got to give credit to Kirk Cousins. Man, making plays in the fourth quarter, all the stuff that we for years felt like he couldn't do, and he's doing it
0: all season. He's doing it all season. Mm. Comeback master. For example, by the way, I don't mean to harp on, you know, and always point out how rugby's better than football, but when the when the ref gets in the way and, like, obstructs the play or, like, the ball hits him or whatever, it's like a do-over. You, are like, stop and reset because you just screwed you up. You would the... do over this Curtis Samuel play? Yeah, why not? If you can negate a play for, like, offsetting penalties and, like, it didn't count, let's just do it over. If the official takes out a safety, you don't think we can be like, okay reset the official blew that play let's start over
1: i like when that used to be a strategy when the ump was in, you know on uh on top of the ball you'd run you'd run your mesh cross cross you right behind the ump him. Yeah. yeah
0: i just you extra know extra pick i think i don't think there's anything wrong with the idea of saying that guy actually destroyed that play let's we have to do that over that's not fair
1: yeah i don't know all right let's go chargers 20 Falcons seventeen, Chargers move to five and three. Falcons fall to four and five in the NFC South. Weird back and forth game here, crazy one. Um, did you see my Chargers stat that I tweeted out? No, what'd you have? So the Chargers are five and three. Yes. And this year they've got whatever the record was for like most fifty yard rushes given up in a seven game period. You know, the other record that they have is four straight games the Chargers have been down ten nothing after the first quarter. You you'd think we were talking about like a one in seven type of team here or whatever it is, but they're five and three. It's just fa- the Chargers I think they're the most fascinating team in the NFL. Because of everything.
0: One of the bets that we have, you know, the, the listeners versus podcast bets is is that the Falcons will finish this season with a better record than the Chargers. And for a lot of the this This is big for us. For <laughs> this is, for is big lot, for us. For a lot of this game, I was like, wow, that's actually gonna come off. And
1: it may still, but we need to. Do you want to do that on Wednesday? A mid-season review, of yeah. Our, I was thinking of that of
0: our bets. Uh huh. Because and maybe I, add some more. So if you have more bets that you want to throw in based off stuff that yeah. we've been saying during the season. If fire you're them a new,
1: in. if you're a new listener, what we did here before the season, we just said, you know, we've got if we have a strong take and you disagree with it, like we said, the Jets are going to be
0: trash, and you said no, they're going to be good. Um, you can. And this is by us. the way, we like, and we all, turned a bunch down. Yeah, and a lot of people were complaining. At the sort of the certainty of the bets that we took, like they were all massively weighted in our favor. It's like, yeah, but this is why, because the NFL is weird. And even though we only took bets that we were like almost certain would pay off in our favor, we're going to lose a bunch of them. This is what like this is the whole literally the whole point of the exercise is that we are this sure about all these things. And yet we're going to be wrong about a bunch of
1: them. We want, we want you to push... The, the idea here, it started with Raiders fans when we said, hey, the Raiders are going to be terrible. And Raiders fans stepped up and said, no, we're going to be great. Let's, let's bet on it, basically. like you're, you're, We're not just betting randomly. We're betting on stuff that we believe in that you disagree with. We believe with.
0: in a lot and you think we're wrong. Correct. And you're going to be right on some of this stuff because we will be wrong about some of it. And we've already seen that is the case. For example, Geno Smith... All of a sudden being amazing. Like, yeah. we didn't see that coming at all. And if you did, you will win a bet. Yeah. I us. felt strongly
1: that Geno Smith and or Drew <laughs> yeah. Locke would not finish in the top qu- third, uh, quarter. Correct. Of, and a top 25% of NFL quarterbacks. So far, we're very wrong. And Johnny Seahawks, Seahawks fan who wanted to make that bet Johnny is looking Seahawks good, fan. right? So that's what we're talking about. We'll probably review that stuff on Wednesday. Anyway. Back to Chargers-Falcons. Weird, you know, just crazy stuff all over the place. <laughs> Falcons run game. Looking great again. Uh, Cordero Patterson comes back, has two touchdowns. Absolutely owns Drew Tranquil
0: on a three-yard. Got run over. Three-yard touchdown. He just hurt You don't often see a former wide receiver come running back just run right over the top of a linebacker. I mean, this is why Patterson is one of the coolest players
1: in the NFL. This is why you love him so much, right? Like, you should not have receivers – Running with power, I do feel like as I've watched running backs more this year, there are some running backs you noted trying to uh, trying to punish defensive backs, or just I mean, Tranquil's a linebacker, but just trying to punish what defensive players this Tranquil is year.
0: Tranquil was like six two, six three, two hundred and thirty five pounds, and got run over.
1: Yeah, like he looked like a hundred eighty pound defensive back on yeah. that play. Um, all I'm saying is, in this year of little bit less offense more zone coverage and everything it feels like a more physical brand of football because because you're seeing more zone you're seeing a lot more players with eyes on the ball closing and we're just seeing more hard hits legal hard hits you know what I mean like it's just it feels like a more physical brand of football this year in in the NFL um, which is fun Uh, I think it was after the game probably Brandon Staley said Justin Herbert's healthy now finally and he admitted their game plans. We're a little bit more conservative. We've pushed back on, hey, you got to let him throw the ball down the field. Still didn't, I mean, didn't change much in this one. They still have a ton of injuries at receiver. Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter, the two top receivers. They're not pushing the ball down the field a lot.
0: The it probably wasn't during the game that he said that. It was either before or after. after. For no other reason than I haven't seen any coach say anything of substance during these drives. Certainly was not. reviews that there happened during the game. Was not during the game. I'm not quite sure why those Although, are happening. Todd Bowles, you never hear this, though. He
1: was like, oh, we're just going gonna to keep establishing the run and we're going to wear him down in the fourth quarter and run some more screens. Like, you don't see a coach actually say, we're going to run more screens here in the second half. That was part of his halftime I'm waiting
0: for for any coach to say anything of interest during those drive-by interviews that are happening during games. It's one of those things I think... Other sports are having success. I'm not going to mention which one. (laughs) With in-game interviews. It's one of those things I think that feels like a better idea than it actually is in practice. Like, what if we get the, Here's the what live, unfiltered view of the head coach? It's like, right. you're not getting that. You're getting, like, I'm trying to deal with a game right now, and some guy or woman has a microphone on my face. I have to say something to get rid of this person so I can go back to my real game. I
1: wouldn't, I, wouldn't I wouldn't go to the coaches because you know you're not going to get anything good. You know it's going to be coach speak. The other sport, get the baseball talk ticker. Baseball did two things this year. They, inter- they had pitchers mic'd up during the All-Star game. And you can't really do that in a game. Yeah, look at that. Oh, there we go. Oh, we're almost to sixteen hundred. Yeah, that's, that's good. Work. It's impressive. They had. A, there we go. We did it. Just Rugby deserves one from earlier, right? We the official thing.
0: So that's got to have a He's tally been on top
1: of it. Yeah. So they mic'd up pitchers, uh-huh. getting into the thought process on all the pitches. I don't know if you could do that in a regular season game, but in the postseason, like a guy would hit. I think Bryce Harper hits like the go-ahead home run in the eighth inning, and they're like in his face in the dugout, like tell me about it, right? If you interviewed a receiver after mossing somebody or catching a touchdown or whatever go to the receiver he'll talk trash you know that will be exciting don't go to the coach what are you trying to do here oh, we're just trying to execute better gotta execute gotta play hard we're trying to finish we're really focused on finishing that's what we're focused on no you go to the receiver you go to the defensive back that just picked it off right the guy who's wearing the turnover chain in college or whatever you gotta go <laughs> go interview the guy right that's what you gotta do anyway what else about this game
0: What else about this game? I mean,
1: Khalil Mack, um, it looked like a a huge game. I mean, it was a game-changing play because it took the Falcons out of the red zone, but then the Chargers threw an interception
0: right away. But Khalil Mack just goes and takes the ball from Drake London inside the five. So this was a game where, like, instant replay was the MVP. Like, it felt like... It felt throughout the NFL this week that fumbles were way more prominent than they had been recently. I don't know if there was a massive uptick. There was a couple more this week than there were the week before, but they all seemed to be really important um, on massively relevant plays. So in this game, it sort of hinged on a couple of plays where replay was really important. Austin Eckler catches the ball, gets tackled, looked like he made an insane play, to stay on his feet and keep going and run down the sideline for a touchdown and he kind of did like he realized that he was going to come down and get land on the body of the dude trying to tackle him and did that thing you know the kind of wrestling move where you get up from the floor by like kicking your way out you know kicking your way back to your feet he sort of did that front, except instead of kicking his way off the floor he kicked his way off the body of the guy he was lying on but on his way to that position he put his elbow down which is down but That looked for all the world like he'd scored a touchdown. And then replay comes in goes, no, elbows down, doesn't count. And then there was that weird play towards the end where there were multiple fumbles, where, again, Eckler, right, gets Eckler fumbles, Falcons pick it up, return it, fumble it. They just lost the handle on the ball again. And the Chargers recover it, but, like, way further back than they started. And then replay comes along and is like, no, you know what? He was down at the start. None of that happened. It wasn't that fun. It was fun. It looked fun, but it wasn't that fun
1: what replay said chargers hit a uh you have a seven minute drive in the fourth quarter to tie it up at 17 uh, there's about 527 left the falcons go three and out chargers come back a lot of that madness is happening but they they basically run it all the way down to where they kick the field goal right at the end right so the chargers just owned that last yeah 12 minutes of the game as far as having the ball and and coming away with the win
0: the so <laughs> it was such a weird game because as a lot of people were pointing out, what you had here was chargering colliding with you know the Falcons, <laughs> yeah, and it's both those things trying to to survive at the same time was inevitably going to lead to a ridiculous game with razor thin margins that was going to come down to the end, only for it to be won by Dicker the kicker. Well done. I can't. I can't. I can't top that. That's. that's let's finish there.
1: Okay. All right, Panthers and Bengals. Bengals win 42-21. to 21. Wasn't even that close, though. No. It was 42-7 to seven at one point. Uh, P.J. Walker was looking good for a few weeks. He was not looking good in this game. Gets benched for Baker Mayfield. And um, Joe Burrow and the Bengals bounce back. The real story, though, it's the Joe Mixon game. Four rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown. A five-touchdown game for Joe Mixon.
0: Yeah, the Panthers had no answer whatsoever for Joe Mixon, um, which is Weird because this is exactly what we said was going to happen going into this game. Like, the Bengals' offense looked bad last week without Jamar Chase. They couldn't really get it going through the air. And they're like, they are 100% going to decide that the solution to this is to focus more on the run game and Joe Mixon, you know? And going against Carolina's defense, which had been really good against the run up until last week, that actually felt like a pretty good game plan for Carolina. Like, this... the the Bengals offense that is not as explosive as it was with Jamar Chase is about to try and establish the run against you, you know? And you have Derrick Brown inside. Like, you have a good defense. That's a perfect game for Carolina. Only they, despite knowing it was coming, they couldn't stop it. And they got absolutely destroyed on the ground. Um, And then early, I I, felt a little bit sorry for PJ because he didn't play well in this game. He had a couple bad turnovers. But this was one of those games where the game flow took the game away from you really early. They had no answer to Joe Mixon. Uh, right one of the first, maybe the first drive he had, certainly the first couple, PJ escapes the pocket, gets out, finds space, delivers a perfect pass, and then his receiver, Tommy Tremble drops it. And you're like, come on, look. You know, when you have quarterbacks that are not the best QB in the world, like, you have to help them out and catch the plays where they put it in your hands. So they, you know, th- that doesn't happen. Carolina ends up cramping out in their drives. All of a sudden, they're in a, like, multiple-score hole, and now P.J.'s got to chase the game. And that's just probably not going to happen. So, from that point, now he's forcing the ball, you know, throws it to a linebacker down the seam, and then it's just it's gone to hell at that point. And then, you know, the Panthers are 35 nothing up at halftime, and P.J. gets pulled fairly soon after that. <sighs> Man, Joe Mixon coming
1: into the game was averaging where did my number go 3.4 yards per carry it didn't feel like that too like joe mixon was creeping toward uh look he's he was drafted in 2017 that's like it's kind of an age you know you're getting old running back terms you know you're in year six he's starting to get to that like thomas jones level of mediocrity i'm just gonna get exactly what's there
0: you just said joe Mixon was thomas jones
1: I mean, didn't he look like that for the first eight weeks of the season, nine weeks of the season, whatever it yeah, is? His offensive weeks.
0: line stank.
1: Yeah, but still, he wasn't—he wasn't doing anything above and beyond what they were giving him. But something happened between Monday and Sunday. He looked fast, Mixon. He looked explosive, powerful. Everything looked better with Mixon. Every type of run they're running, outside zone, duo, everything they're running was was outstanding. The run blocking was much better. I mean, the Bengals won up front. But Mixon was fantastic. And then his receiving touchdown, too. Joe Burrow has basically back-to-back passes where it's a scramble drill. He th- uh, Trent Irwin just misses one along the sideline. Mm. And then almost a near-identical you know, near pass where Burrow hits Joe Mixon on the uh, scramble drill and gets it in there for the touchdown. So Burrow played a clean, efficient game. But this was about Mixon, man. He looked completely different. And um, the, the thing I said before the game, Zach Taylor, when you're looking at a head coach and you're talking about the um, attitude of a team, the what am I, um, the identity of a team, right? The Bengals the last couple of years, I think if you're, a, if you're evaluating Zach Taylor, the head coach, you could say, why do they have some of these lulls? They had a lull. They were terrible on Monday Night Football against the Browns. Last year, they were terrible against the Browns in the middle of the season, against the Jets, when the Jets weren't good but they bounce back from those lulls, right? You can ask the question, why do they have these weeks where they don't show up? Those are not good. But I said on the pre-show, I've been impressed with how Zach Taylor's helped this team bounce. They, they've bounced back, right? Even when, when, it, when it seemed like things were going to fall apart, they bounced back strong. Uh, maybe it's just playing at home. I don't know. They seem like they're b- a better home team in recent weeks here. But they bounced back strong in this one against the Panthers team that had, that they were turning a corner in their season right? P.J. Walker was playing better. The defense, yeah, they were they were bad at times last week against the Falcons, but the defense has had good performances. The Panthers looked like, hey, we're at least going to be this competitive team for the rest of the year. And the Bengals dominated them from start to finish, much like they did the Falcons a couple weeks ago at home. Yeah.
0: But Carolina's defense was annihilated in this game. I actually think there's reasons to be encouraged for the offense. Okay, P.J. had a bad game, got benched. Baker Mayfield comes back in the game is long dead at that point. So it's one of those where, you know, it's all garbage time in the second half. Um, but in that garbage time, Baker Mayfield actually started getting some something going. Like they actually started to have some kind of success in the in the passing game. And, you know, one thing that's slightly different right now than was earlier in the year when Baker was struggling and getting nowhere is this offensive line is a lot better than it was at the start of the season. Uh, Iki Ikuanu, their top rookie, his, the first three games he had were pretty disastrous, uh, certainly in terms of pass blocking. Since that point, he's been one of the best pass blocking tackles in the NFL. This was another game where he had a pretty good run, didn't give up a sack, only a couple of pressures, going up against some legit uh, pass rushers. Um, the entire offensive line for Carolina in this game held up really well against a pretty good defense. So, you know, Baker Mayfield doesn't look like he's going to be the answer anytime soon, but that offensive line all of a sudden is giving them a pretty good platform for success in a way that hasn't been the case for multiple seasons now look at you mr positive for the panthers who got smoked yeah now
1: this this is a dominant outing by the Bengals without jamar chase yep with no jamar chase that's huge joe mixon i mean you gotta admit like he looked like a completely different running back didn't he he looked completely different than what he did early in the season it wasn't just oh the run blocking opened up some holes like he played differently
0: yeah but i mean i think the run blocking really opened up some holes and that's when a running back tends to look like he's going to play differently Like he actually had somewhere to go in this game that hasn't been the case for quite a while now the question for the bengals do you chase this every week are you going to chase
1: the joe mixon game where you're going to rely on him because that's where they got into trouble this is what we this is where we push back on the run game like when the run game is executed it is valuable and very this the run game won this for the bengals yesterday right Burrow didn't even have to complete a pass, and they still would have won because the run game was that good. But when you chase that every week, it, it's tough to replicate that level of success every single week. When you chase the run game and you, you start to take the ball out of Burrow's hands, that's when it gets a little iffy. That's how I want to see how the Bengals respond it's here. It's
0: fascinating the psychological effect that a dominant running game has versus anything else. Like I was listening on the radio on the way in this morning, um, took like post-game comments from... Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon and, all, and like Burrow sounded more hyped about what just happened than any time I've ever heard him talk before oh, they it's love like, it yeah when we run the ball like that we're unstoppable like yeah. nobody can, can live with us he's not making those noises after like a dominant passing outing you know yeah and I think that's that's not just him Sort of that's not just leadership it's not just him understating his own impact on the offense and talking up other people there's something about the run game in football that affects you psychologically different than the passing game does. So when you just impose your will and dominate on the ground the way the Bengals did in this game, it, you, it it sort of feels different than an explosive passing attack where you just put up a ton of points. You come away with it in a sort of more... You come away with it with a more visceral reaction than that. I I, I don't know quite what to do with that, other than I think you're right, it is potentially dangerous to then fall into this trap of going, Oh, we need to do that again. We need to come out and dominate everybody on the ground. It's like, well, okay, but the next time if you're not playing a team like Carolina and they can actually stop the run, your offense becomes the Buccaneers where you just run the ball yeah. into the teeth of the defense over and over and over again and go nowhere. Yeah, it is the the
1: psychological effect. You're absolutely right. I mean, quarterbacks love it. That's why on the Manning Cast, they're an offensive linemen Love it. Like everybody yeah. loves it. the Manning Cast. They it is amazing to me, especially Peyton, how comfortable how how much they appreciate a three yard run, right? Just the mentality. <laughs> but they've been, it's like ingrained in them. Like get to second and seven, get to second and seven. Now Peyton didn't really play like that. Eli didn't play like that. Eli didn't want three yards. He wanted. You know, you wanted big plays. Now Eli took his check downs when he needed to, but how much they're trained to like stay on schedule, stay on schedule, stay on schedule. And um yeah, it is interesting. We don't have time to talk about that anymore though. Jaguars twenty seven. Raiders twenty. The Jaguars made a comeback. On yeah. the other hand, the Raiders blew a seventeen point lead. Again.
0: Do you have the stats? I have one of the stats. Um the most 17 point leads blown in the NFL this season this is from NFL and CBS last night the Las Vegas Raiders have now done it three times this season Uh, the rest of the NFL combined has done it twice yeah where's the other one that I had Uh, the other one was uh, all time Raiders 17 or more point leads This
1: this one blew my mind NFL and CBS, once again, look at that crack research team on uh, for the NFL and CBS. CBS Good work by them. Ni- between 1960 and 2021, they had blown five 17-point leads, and they're up to three so far this year in eight games.
0: Hmm. <laughs> What's that time span again? 19- 1960. That's mm. before the merger. Yes. Pre-merger. Uh huh. AFL Raiders. AFL Raiders. So the entirety of the Oakland... Uh, Los Angeles, Oakland again, and Vegas Raiders. Yeah. Combined for four, five, did you say? Five times. Yeah. And they've already done it three times it, it?
1: it wasn't like they were the most pristine
0: franchise with, as far as win loss records go. Josh Daniels is, is on his way to being the worst head coach in NFL history. Certainly the worst that's had multiple swings Stop at the back. Seriously. He has gone, he rode the Denver Broncos off a cliff. In fairly quick order, he had a six and zero start. Then apparently, people figured out they were taping practices, and from that moment on, the, the entire Broncos fell apart. And now, you t- took him like what fifteen years to get another shot. And now he's back in charge, and the Raiders stink. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's been some really bad head coaches. Uh, other in the NFL, than uh, and and those guys get run out after one shot, and they're never going to get a second job. You know, nobody's given Urban Meyer a second crack at this, right? So those guys are in their own little category. But of the people that have had multiple swings at head coach, you can't... I mean, unless this turns around pretty quickly, there's not going to be too many resumes that are worse than this. He's not out after one year, McDaniels. He works for the Las Vegas Raiders. It's not...
1: This isn't like urban level, urban mire levels of disaster. It's... It's It's not. Listen, let's just... I got suckered in. I got suckered in to the preseason hype. I thought Devonte Adams. I was I was two out of three correct. That Tyree killed AJ Brown. Devonte Adams. Two out of three have absolutely transformed their offense. It hasn't happened with Devonte Adams except for the first quarter in this game. Yeah, they were seventeen nothing up. But what, all I'm saying Cooking. is all I'm saying is your expectation for the Raiders before I got duped. Right, the whole month of July and August, I was like, boom, jumping on this bandwagon with the Raiders. Your expectations weren't high this year. They were a lucky playoff team last year. Yeah. All, all, Every every data point pointed to that. They were an overrated playoff team based off point differential, based off how they played, all of that stuff. So what but part of that were was, your expectations for the Raiders this year? I mean, they're two and six. That's You thought they were better than that, yes. I know.
0: Part of my tap the brakes on the Raiders thing was that the offensive line looked like one of the worst in the league. Their offensive line has been coming together. It's still not good, but it's a lot better than I thought it might be.
1: And As of two weeks ago, it looked like they had found their identity and they were playing better in the last two weeks. Just yeah. disastrous.
0: So you, like, and then the Devontae Adams thing was supposed to function. And it has in, like, spurts, spurts this year. The first quarter, Devontae Adams was six targets, six catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. And the, Ra- and the Raiders were cooking. They went 17-0 up against Jacksonville. And you're like, oh, this game's done. They like, put a fork in this. Yeah, And then they didn't score for basically the rest of the game. And the Jags kept on coming back. And Trevor Lawrence had maybe the best game he's ever had in the NFL in one of the least consequential games he's played. Like, Trevor Lawrence quietly has his best performances when they couldn't matter less, you know? <laughs> they all matter. This matters. But it's like, you know the way we, our, our, our logic was that Kirk Cousins in London, 9 a.m.? Like, that's Kirk's oh, time, I got you. Yeah. you know? Kirk was going to be at his best. At nine in the morning, this when was nobody's a, watching.
1: This was a good. What do you call it? The witching hour. Hanson calls it. This yeah. was a good, three forty-five Eastern time. You know, to four p.m. That window of every like, every game's online. But like,
0: you think where Trevor Lawrence's best games have come from? Right, Thursday night when nobody's watching. Games against it's the an Colts. Island game. It's island. Game. It's a Thursday night game. People hate that game. Week eighteen against the Colts. The Colts, and then a one p.m. against the Raiders. where you're 17-0 down before you start playing. I want to get to Lawrence in a minute. Let's just talk about Raiders'
1: futility really quick. Carr goes 10 of 13 for 123 in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. Fantastic in the first quarter. He had 123 passing yards in Q1, 136 over the final three quarters. 51 grade in the last three quarters of the game. Multiple comeback attempts. It just felt like every throw was just off. Almost every throw in crunch time was off from Derek Carr. It wasn't one of those games where you say, "Hey, they got away from the run too much." I thought they ran the ball enough. You know, with Josh Jacobs, he had 17 carries. Maybe you you want to run clock more, but like you still just stop scoring points. At some point, you got to stop scoring. You got you still have to keep scoring points, even though you're up. So Raiders, poor job there. Trevor Lawrence was I, just fantastic. I think this was his very best game. Yeah, his very best game. He was throwing the ball outside the numbers. Um, Trayvon Merrick that's another one just disappointing player for the Raiders last year's first uh, second round pick we had him as a first round type of player very good rookie season just looks lost in this defense a lot asked of him he, he uh, got beat by Christian Kirk on a touchdown and just having a terrible season um, but Lawrence looked fantastic man there's one play where uh, instant pressure instant pressure in Lawrence's face he sidesteps it it's a little 12 yard out I mean it's 12 yard out but the footwork and ability to avoid the pressure and put the ball I think it was on Kirk put the ball right on Kirk who was interfered with unbelievable and we saw not that every play was like that but Lawrence was just accurate incredible He finishes 25 of 31 for 235 and a score again it's not like the best stat line we've ever seen but as far as throwing the ball goes adding value with the run game and everything Lawrence was fantastic in this game
0: yeah, he was. He, he played fantastic. And then Travis Etienne um, had a great game again. Like he, He's justifying the kind of moves that the Jags have made to A, install him as the starter, B, move on from James Robinson, despite the lack of kind of track record from Etienne. He had another great game. And another case of just the difference between the first quarter and the rest of the game. He had like four carries to seven yards in the first quarter. And then from that moment on, quarters two, three, and four... 24 carries for 102 yards and two touchdowns um so this whole game the, the first quarter and the next three were not the same game they didn't you know that that cliche of it's a game of two halves well this was a game of the first quarter and then the next three quarters bearing yeah. absolutely no resemblance to each other i'm just proud of trevor for making a comeback yeah
1: i mean you know what i mean he made a comeback i've been saying hey when are you gonna when are you gonna go take over a game that wasn't uh it was a fourth quarter comeback yeah they had they technically (laughs) technically took the lead in the fourth quarter but I, I thought it was just it was it was good for uh for Trevor Lawrence seeing hey you're down a bunch put a little bit more on your shoulders Etienne was a huge part of it as well but a comeback from the Jags Jags moved to what three and five three and six
0: Raiders 2-6. Um, in addition to the players that uh, that we mentioned being in walking boots for the Packers, they've apparently lost Rashawn Gary Saw to an that. ACL. Yeah. Rashawn Gary. Al McGrath in the chat had it, but it's also out there. Jeremy Fowler retweet, or tweeted that the uh, initial belief is a torn ACL, and initial belief on an ACL means it's a torn ACL. I think we already had an email asking, when do the Packers turn to Jordan Love
1: to see what... He has.
0: God, can you imagine
1: Aaron Rodgers? I mean, we're not there yet. I mean, Packers fans are, the, the most optimistic Packers fans are like, 2016, we were I mean, four and six. Aaron said, run the table. Yeah. And then the realistic
0: Packers fans are like, yeah, it's not, the, it's not the same team. Not the same. We're not there, but we're definitely at the point where like, okay, what's left for you this season? Because it's not, it's not win a Super Bowl. Like, what are you getting out of this year now? Maybe there should have been sellers at the deadline. Maybe. Trade Rodgers. So, yeah, I mean, oh, we don't have time for this. Too late. They're screwed. Yeah. Packers are in trouble. Look at you, keeping
1: us on track. All right, Jags 27, Raiders 20. I think that's all the 1 o'clock games. Let's go to the 4 o'clock. Seattle Seahawks 31, Arizona Cardinals 21, Seahawks. All two of them? All, yeah. I think what happened here is uh, CBS, so CBS got the NFC game. Right? This is kind of like CBS's island game. Yeah. Right? You get to pick, you get to your game of the year. They pick Rams-Bucks as their game of the year, where, we, where the NFL says, we'll only have one other game opposite. And it'll be a terrible game. It'll be Seahawks-Cardinals, <laughs> right? Going into the year. Who yeah. the heck, who wanted to see Seahawks-Cardinals? So that's why you'll have the
0: two in the four o'clock window, I believe. Anyway. Oh, cool. Like, broadcasting rules the world over are so archaic and lodged in the past. It's absurd. Yeah. Blackouts, this kind of idiocy where you've got eight games in the one PM slate and two in the four PM slate, at least one of which is terrible. Don't get me started. I'm I'm full boomer. So bad when it comes to streaming too. I am full boomer. No, like, streaming is good. No, streaming is not. I mean, streaming, streaming is, good. is good. We need to embrace that world and say stop with this blackout crap this can't play this while we're like yeah that's the fine. idea that who's the blackouts the, the idea that red zone has to like shut off when there's only one game left because of local broadcasting rules is ridiculous we are in a world now where you can stream any game you want to watch and Not pay for, for get, any game you want to watch get just ticket. let that happen get sunday ticket just pay let me stream all of the games at once and pay for those games the end I, stop making I me want... do all this other crap It's ridiculous. It's based off a system that is completely irrelevant in the modern world. Wake up and smell the streaming, Steve. Embrace it. That's where we are as a society now. If I'm in a one television room watching Amazon Prime
1: Thursday Night Football and I I can't even flip a channel to go see something else during a commercial or anything like that, I can't even flip a channel. Like
0: if the World Series is on, for instance. Well, that's an Amazon's platform problem. That's not a streaming problem. No, it's not. That's a streaming problem. No. If you have YouTube TV for example. You can flip channels pretty easy.
1: I'm talking about exclusive streaming that That's I have to go to Amazon streaming. Prime. I have to go That's to I'm ESPN saying. Plus. That's I not have a to stream- go to all these things.
0: That's not a streaming problem. That's a platform problem. YouTube TV is streaming. But this is where we're moving.
1: TV. Amazon's going to be getting the Sunday ticket package at some point. Yeah, so if they compl- don't give me an eight box mix like DirecTV does, I'm going to be, fe- I might yes. quit.
0: So your complaint is not streaming as a concept is inadequate to my needs. Your complaint is Amazon's platform is substandard right now. Give me this feature no it's when something has to be exclusive in any app besides uh, YouTube TV
1: is replicating cable television which is fine right I which think in an app like if you take the remote out of someone's hand where they can't go to watch multiple multiple things that is not a move forward for society
0: so that, yeah my point is your complaint is with the platforms inadequacy not with the concept being no ex- exclusivity I mean if, if I have to go watch ESPN plus Or whatever it is. I can't go
1: watch NFL Network. I can't click to NFL Network.
0: Also, by the way, we're at the point where, like, TVs can handle picture-in-picture and multiple apps at the same time. Like, just get a better setup, to be honest. I have a great setup
1: in my upstairs. But what if I'm down? What if I want to be downstairs? I don't have a setup in every single room in my house. Anyway, let's go. Again, it sounds like a you problem. Seahawks 31, Cardinals 21. We just talked about it. We just complained. I complained boomer style. That's all we need to know. Hmm. Geno Smith take it over in the fourth quarter along with Kenneth Walker. Um... This game also wasn't as close as the score. You've got a kind of, not a fluky play, a great play by Zayvon Collins, a pick six. Yep. Not a great decision by Geno Smith, but you know, a weird one. Pick six on a screen and um, Zayvon Collins takes it to the house. But um, Seattle really
0: dominated this one though. Yeah, they did. And God, Geno Smith's so good. I, I know it's weird saying that after he pitches the ball to Zayvon Collins for a pick six, but he got away with, listen, he got away with another one
1: too. Just before the, I think it was DK Metcalf, first touchdown, he did throw one. Uh, Was it uh, Byron Murphy dropped in the end zone? Somebody dropped in the end zone. Byron Murphy. So there were two where Geno got away with. Yeah. But his ability to bounce back. Go ahead, carry on. But
0: what I love is his process right now, because we're not looking at a guy who's just sort of getting by and getting lucky and escaping with a bunch of bad decisions and is just riding the up end of variance, right? We are seeing plays that demonstrate a process that Geno Smith, I don't think, had the capacity for in the past. Um, or at least certainly didn't demonstrate it on a consistent basis. There was a play where they ran a kind of trick play um, throwback thing, right? And usually those are like, you know, throw to the flat, throw back to the QB, and he's looking deep. It's a one-read thing. It's like I'm taking this deep shot or I'm dumping the ball or running, you know? Gino takes a look at it, doesn't like the deep shot, works to a second read that generally doesn't really exist in these trick plays, and hits a tight end over the middle for, like, a moderate gain as opposed to the all-or-nothing deep shot. Like, that process to be able to run the trick play, don't like the one shot that it's really dialed up for and find a secondary option without resorting to sort of panic, I think is just really high-end quarterback play that we're seeing consistently from him this year. And even when he does make mistakes, like the pick six or the play that could have been picked off, like, the overall... Um, baseline of his play is just so consistently high; it's really impressive. I'm impressed. He had three first downs as a runner
1: as well when he needed to scramble and everything. And um, I'm impressed with that part too. Two scrambles, one designed. I- I'm impressed with what he's done with his legs, what he's done under pressure, what he's done uh, out of structure. Like again, none of that stuff was a part of his game either when he was a starter eight years ago or in preseason the last few years for whatever that's worth, right? We didn't see any of this stuff. So yeah, very impressed with Geno Smith. Over.
0: Another game where I'm so fascinated now by those sequences just either side of halftime because in so the many Charlotte. games, those are so ridiculously important. So this is a like a t- what a 10-7 game yep. before halftime. And then the Cardinals are driving with... Uh, 25, couple, 25 seconds left here? Is this the one you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, but generally that sequence. So they get the ball with two and a bit minutes, or three minutes, two and a half minutes, whatever, to go before the half. They're driving. They're going to try and score before halftime, take the lead in this game, and they get the ball back. At, you know, it's, it's all those, like, can you double dip either side of halftime yeah. and completely change the outcome of the game? So the Cardinals are driving, and it is third and four. Robbie Anderson just drops a stone-handed, right in his hands, clanger, drops it, third and four. Um, then, so it's fourth down, right? What do you do? Third and four, or fourth and four, fourth down. Kyler Murray gets buried really quickly into the play. He's, he's about to get destroyed, ends up escaping it. Classic Kyler Murray play, escapes the, uh, the traffic, starts running. He's got a lot of real estate in front of him. He's about to turn this into a really big gain first down, and then just fumbles the ball away instead. So, like Arizona driving to try and take the lead all of a sudden fumbles the game away or fumbles the ball away. Seahawks get it uh, and it doesn't go against them the way it could have got. And Robbie Anderson, by the way, had a nightmare in this game. In, in addition to that third and four drop, you had a false start that negated a John Hopkins touchdown later in the game. Okay, they scored in the next play, but that's the kind of thing that like, dude, you're that's a really basic mistake, and you just took points off the board in a game we're trying to come back and win. Yeah, the fumble before the half was massive, right? Yeah, um, I mean, that, that's a game changer.
1: Just, just statistically here, I had been lamenting the uh, Cardinals offense, passing offense, as you know, they're averaging between five and six yards per attempt every single game, and DeAndre Hopkins had opened up that offense a little bit more. It wasn't his best game, but uh, five yards per attempt. They're back. So they were not getting the ball down the field. Kyler Murray, there was a lot of games yesterday where the quarterback was the leading rusher on the team. Obviously, you had Fields, but you had Josh Allen, you had Kyler Murray, you had Mahomes on Sunday Night Football. Kyler, the leading rusher in this one as well for the Cardinals. But um, yeah, the Cardinals, they're interesting because they do have, uh, Gino threw the ball short for the majority of the game. You know, he's they, they create big plays when needed. I mean, one of their biggest play was just they're running out the clock. Noah Fant in the flat for fifty one yards. It was a short passing attack. His average depth of target was minimal. Um but the Cardinals, you know, didn't tackle well, did you know, didn't play in space well. I mean the Seahawks offense has answers now. And their defense has players, which I did not expect this year. Tariq yeah. woolen and um Ryan Neal and all these guys every single week continue to play well. To me the the story of the season is both sides of the ball. The rookie class for the Seahawks, both starting tackles, Kenneth Walker, Tariq Woolen, It's one of the best rookie classes we've seen in years. But the emergence of the defense in Seattle, the emergence of Geno Smith, all of it, is absolutely incredible. Six and three Seahawks.
0: Yes. Um, what, so let's, uh, let's cover this Tyler Lockett thing. Um, somebody was it DM would you and me, I think. Somebody was basically messaging us with a video of plays yeah. where Tyler Lockett catches the ball and then goes down untouched before getting hit in the course of a game. I was like, what do you make of this? Essentially giving himself up on the play repeatedly. Uh, he did it in this game where he gave himself up before a first down in a reasonably important play early in the, in the game. And Daryl Moose Johnson was the color commentator in the booth, former NFL fullback. So you can... You know, probably get an idea of the way he thinks about certain things just from that information, even if you know nothing else about Moose. Uh, and then, like, later in the game, Eno Benjamin, Cardinals running back, doesn't give himself up and really goes after a first down, gets a few yards through contact. And he's like, yeah, you see, like, the difference between Tyler Lockett there giving himself up and Eno, Eno Benjamin going looking for that. Like, okay, but look, Eno Benjamin weighs... 25 pounds more than Tyler Lockett, despite being shorter than him. Like, that's a man built to go and get yardage in ugly situations. And he's a running back, by the way. Like, this is, these are important details here. Tyler Lockett, though, is like 5'10", 11, and 180 pounds. Like, he can't play the game like he's New Hopkins, you know? So, and then late in the game, Tyler Lockett catches a pass where he was being led into hell. Like got led into contact, took a shot, held on with the ball, first down, big play. And I was like, okay, that play right there is why I don't care if he spends his entire time being late career Isaac Bruce and just catching the ball and hitting the turf before anybody hits him. Because Isaac Bruce was doing this for the last several years of his career where he would just catch the ball, get as much ground as was there until contact was inevitable, and then would just drop like a sack of potatoes and hit the ground. You're like, I'm not taking that hit. And like, all right, fair enough. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. Like, there are certain situations where I would really like those extra couple of yards because it's a first down. On the other hand, you're a really important receiver for this team, and I need you there. And I know that if I put you into a tight window, you're going to catch the ball and take a hit, and that's more important to me. So Tyler Lockett at 5'11 and 180 should absolutely be preserving himself when he can I have no problem with it. We've
1: we've pushed back on the notion that the best ability is availability, right? Because it's generally attached to Frank Gore, right? <laughs> Frank Gore, you know he's going to be out there. Yeah. You know you're going to get your 3.7 a pop for the last 8 years of his career. The best avail the best ability is availability. Well, not if you're playing at like replacement level because we can replace you, right? We can find someone else. To grab 3.7 per carry, I think if you're Tyler Lockett and you're a very good receiver, availability is important, right? Because you are you are good at most things, catching the ball, getting open. The other things you do, and you sacrifice an extra couple yards here and there to be on the field. This was Baker. This is the argument of Baker Mayfield, Teddy Bridgewater last year. Remember the big debate we had? Teddy Bridgewater throws a pick six or fumble six or whatever it was, and just lets the corner go, take it to the house. Baker Mayfield throws a pick against the Texans in a game that they're probably going to win. He throws his shoulder in there and ruins maybe his career, right? It hasn't been the same yeah. since that point. That stuff matters, right? So, yeah, I get it, man. I, I think I'm, I'm okay with preservation. I would be. The difference would be like the Cam, like Cam Newton in the Super Bowl doesn't jump on a fumble. Yeah. That's different, right? But also,
0: Cam Newton's like, Cam Newton is a giant physical freak. Like, the idea yeah. that he shouldn't be... And it's be, the Super Bowl. He doesn't need to be preserving himself the same way Tyler Lockett does, you know? And I would I would have a bigger problem with the Tyler Lockett thing if he didn't throw his head into plays like that one where he caught it in you know right in front of a big hit. The big hit was coming from Zayvon Collins, I think. So he's about to take a hit over the middle head-to-head, like running, you know, headlong crash against a guy that outweighs him by 50 pounds? What's saving Collins? He's like 250, right? It's like 75 he's a pounds. He's 250-pound linebacker, right. yeah. So he's, he's taking a hit from a linebacker who outweighs him by 75 pounds, and he's willing to stick his head in there and take that shot. That is why I don't care that he's willing to give himself up and not take a random shot that doesn't need to happen. Like, if he wasn't willing to take that hit, now we have a conversation because... Now you're talking about a guy that simply does not want to take contact. And if you put the ball yeah. in anywhere that's going to create that, he's like, yeah, you know what, not today. Like, if he was alligator arming every tight window throw that's different because he's about to take a hit, now that's an issue because you've got a really good receiver who's just not willing to, to take a hit. That's not what we're dealing with here. Tyler Lockett will take a hit when you put him in that, That's that position. Toughness.
1: That's toughness, which is different from preservation.
0: Right, but he is he is out there saying, well, if I don't have to take a hit, I'm not going to take one. And frankly, I don't have a problem with that, given his size. If he was 220 pounds, sure, but he isn't. So don't expect him to take those shots.
1: I'm just so impressed with Seattle, man. They're off to Germany to take on the Bucks next week in um, what looks like it should be a very good game with the uh, the first ever german nfl game by the way don't forget to check out the p uh, the new pff app go check it
0: out download
1: it right now all your fantasy betting all your great news all of sam's great writing what are you writing this week that's going to be up on the app
0: doing your rookie It'll review be a mid-season ish uh
1: all pro team. oh yeah the uh 52 percent of the way through the season all pro team. yeah that's awesome that'll all be on the app go check it out pff app all right buck 16 rams 13 this is your game of the week with Romo and Nance. Um Brady and the Bucks make the comeback late. Sixty five yards in under a minute, no timeouts, in a game that saw very poor offense on both sides. Yeah. Bucks uh pull to four and five. They're now technically first place in the NFC South. The Rams fall to three and five here.
0: Can you imagine how much it would suck to get on a plane to Germany if they lost that game? Yeah. That would, I know that would be rough. Um this game was kind of depressing it felt a lot like 2 I'll do it storied famous heavyweight boxing champions that have reached the end you know and are punch drunk not the guys they used to be don't have the cardio and are just kind of staggering around the ring slugging at each other with neither one of them capable of doing anything like what they were doing when they were in their prime and it's like wow <laughs> these two teams just they were the last two super bowl winners you know, yeah. just a couple of years ago, each one of these teams with the Lombardi trophy and the confetti, and it was all great. With many of the same players. Yeah. Not completely, but many. And now it's like, it seems scarcely believable that that is true. These two teams in the playoffs last year, um, I mean, the Rams offensive line is just a disaster. They can barely function with that. Like, outside, like the Bucks randomly forgot the Cooper Cup exists, despite, ironically, A, he's their primary and only threat, and B, of all the teams in the world that should be aware of what happens when you forget about Cooper Cup, the Bucks should probably be first in that list given what happened in the playoffs. But they they drop coverage on Cooper Cup. He scores or goes on a big play. You take that out of there. The Rams basically did nothing in the entire game on offense. And then Tampa Bay, it wasn't much better, but they were at least vaguely capable of moving the ball every now and again. I know I do this a lot because
1: you can't like take the play out, but it's just to give perspective of what you watched right if you do take out the cooper cup play which counted which existed yeah but the, it's
0: also it's not like this was a play where the rams really you know did something special it's like the bucks oh, forgot just cooper cup was there yeah. for a play but stafford had 96 passing yards
1: on all other dropbacks the other 20 30 dropbacks 96 passing yards and then take off 27 for sacks I did they end up about.
0: in Did they end up in positive or negative yardage for the fourth quarter, the Rams? I think it was Because at one point they were negative until that final drive where they didn't go anywhere.
1: That's the weirdest thing. Like last year, like Stafford's had a knack for those fourth quarter comebacks. He's had a lot of opportunities in his career. That's a big part of it. He's not better at like a percentage point or anything like that perspective. But he's got a knack for making those, you know, fourth quarter comebacks. He did it a lot last year. He did it in the playoffs last year. We saw that the Rams have been
0: atrocious in the fourth quarter this year. Yeah. Just bad overall they were terrible um but this i mean i think you don't, you don't feel good about this game if you're either team like okay the bucks stumbled their way over the line they finally got the win that's important for them and is one of the reasons that i'm a little bit more optimistic about their future than the other sort of nfc powerhouses that are struggling because green bay might as well pack it up already they're if they haven't lost the division already mathematically they're right on the cusp um and the Rams, I, I just don't see how you fix that offensive line during the course of the season. So I think they're screwed as well. The Bucks, at least, the division is right there. They're you know, in the first place because they win this game. They're going to have all year to figure this out. And therefore, the potential is, them, is there for them to kind of get themselves together and, and ultimately still be a problem come playoff time for anybody in the NFC. But God, you wouldn't. It's It's hard to envisage it from watching this, you know?
1: The um, Rams started their eighth different offensive line combination. It's We're eight games into the season. Yeah. Bobby Evans absolutely torched by um, Raheem Nunez-Roches and uh, Vita Vea. Those were the top pass rushers for the Bucks. Vita Vea getting to the quarterback. I mean, Stafford wasn't under a ton of pressure, but when he did, it became a sack most of the time. That was the issue there. On the other side, a lot of talk this week about the Bucks and establishing the run and running the ball better. And they doubled down on this strategy that you have to run the ball to set up play action. Now, I know at the end of the day, Tom Brady dropped back like 60 times compared to just 20 runs. So the uh, run pass balance wasn't there. But the Bucks ran on their first seven, eight offense, uh, offensive uh, first downs. And at one point, they'd had seven attempts, 23 yards, and two holding penalties, which don't show up in the stats, but you know, they're negative twenty yards. Yeah. Right. Part part of the reason it does feel like when the Bucks actually get a hole and they pick up five, um, there's a holding penalty. That's how that hole was opened up. Their run blocking great as a team is in the thirties in this game.
0: The Bucks just seem I don't understand why they can't just run a clean play. Um
1: They did on the like on the final drive, they just did. Just but before that, everything else,
0: yes. And even like even then, you know, the, literally, we predicted that, not the final drive, the one before that. We predicted that sequence. It's like, oh, all of a sudden, Scotty Miller is the, is the go-to guy. And I was like, we're three plays away from disaster. And then, immediately, they get to the end zone. Scotty Miller, like, clang right off his face mask. You like, come on. Like, how hard is this? You did all the hard stuff. You dragged the team down there. You then beat the guy in the end zone all you got to do is catch the ball that's about to hit, literally about to hit you in the face. How hard is this? Um, but somebody was tweeting me, and they're like, "Do the Bucks lead the league in drops?" Because it feels like they have one every drive. Like, actually, they're not even close. But they just time them for the worst yeah. possible play, like which is the story of Tampa Bay's entire season. They're not even playing that badly collectively or individually. It's just that everybody times their bad play. For the worst possible scenario, so there's a play in here where like Brady escapes the pocket, control. like Brady turns into Kyler Murray, right? Ducks out of a sack, suddenly finds, runs forward into space, finds Mike Evans on third and five, in a tight window, like converging DBs, and Evans just drops the ball. Like, like, you're Mike Evans, you're the best receiver on this team. You're you know the consecutive thousand yard guy, like record setting. You're the guy he trusts. And he just made a play that is gonna happen once this season for Tom Brady. Like that's one of a one out of a hundred, one out of a thousand for Brady, and you dropped the ball and now we gotta punt it away. Like, why is everybody dialing up their bad play for third and five or like the worst possible time? The touchdown, the go ahead touchdown. Like, just save it for like a first down in the first quarter <laughs> sometime. Get it out of the way and then make a good play when it actually matters.
1: That is what the offense has felt like for the last four or five weeks, really. Yeah. It's uh, holding call, negating first downs, or uh, they had an illegal formation that negated a first down, drops, a which, missed throw. It's just there's, which there's is always the one reason. person screwing up. That was like the, the middle of the game the Chiefs had last night felt like that. There's always like somebody screwing up on each play. And
0: it's the same reason everyone's like, oh, that offensive line's terrible. It's like it isn't. Mm-hmm. It just dials up bad plays for like key third downs. Um you know it could have been season saving for
1: the bucks though at least having at least coming away with the win ugly win ugly you could see brady was completely different he was actually excited for the first time all season um just an ugly game but the final drive man you know the ramp romo was making the point in the game the rams play soft um but it's not always that simple right it's not always like throw five yard hitches the entire time right They they mix up coverages extremely well they did feel a little soft on that last drive and brady had much bigger passing windows because there was a point in the game it's like do the bucks just not have a pass concept to beat anything that the rams do like is <laughs> nobody ever going to be open and if they do they're going to drop it like do they have answers at all and in the final drive it's like you got a seam route kate Auden was the guy that came through that rookie yeah. tight end um he had the game winner on the easy flat route but he caught the ball up the seam i mean honestly He's that, one big play, for them.
0: that one play that one play like probably is the outcome of this game. If yeah. they can't get that one big scene play to start that drive, they probably can't get it done. The Rams end up squeaking out with a, you know, it was it 13-7? 13-9? Or it was 13-9. Nine. Yeah. Like, they end up with a 13-9 win, and it's like, a same kind of story, but on the other side. But like, the Bucks basically could not function. They were like, slowly grinding this out and hoping to just get into field goal range to try and put three on the board five times. And that was how they were going to try and win this game until that last play. And then the Rams, like literally, they had one basically busted coverage to Cooper Cup and outside of that got nothing going. These were two miserable looking teams. And okay, at least the Rams I don't think can be fixed because their offensive line is horrendous and I don't see how you can get three or four upgrades over the course of the season, particularly post-trade deadline. The Bucs at least, again... The personnel is there. Like, yeah. Okay, fine. They're, they keep getting banged up with receivers and blah, blah, blah. But, like, that's a capable-looking receiving group on paper. Tom Brady is still a good quarterback. The offensive line is fine, even if they – but everybody dials up their bad plays for really important yeah. times. If they can just stop doing that and they can, like, get some passing concepts that function, there's no reason this can't be a good team. Julio Jones leaves injured again. Basically, anytime he makes a cut,
1: kind of <laughs> like holding your breath. He falls down on a third and long, trying to run a comeback route. I don't think he came back into the game. You know the uh, way... um, Tough to rely on Julio at this point.
0: You know the way, like, Brett Favre, when he broke his thumb one time, just, like, encased it in resin and played on? It feels like you you need to do that with Julio, but, like, head to toe. Like, I wrecked my ankle one time. One of the dumbest injuries of all time those kind of reaches where, you know, arm up and knee up, you know, you go up in the air and come back down. Yeah. When I came back down, my ankle just went yeah. and I ruptured a bursa sack and did a bunch of other stuff to it. Um, and I went and got like physio on it. And the guy was saying, well, this is like an eight week injury or whatever it was. And I was like, well, I have a game in like four weeks. So that's the timetable, you know, ill-advised though it may be. Yeah. Make it happen. And a friend of mine is a, a kind of sports, he does physio stuff as well. So he came down to that game and taped my ankle so it was pretty bad at that point, still. But he taped it like rock solid, right, to the point where it no longer flexed. But the tape became like a spring. You know those like uh, the kind of um, those blade things that Paralympic athletes run on. You mm-hmm. know, where you replace your leg with like a carbon ceramic or carbon fiber or like spring and you can sprint on those things. That was basically what the ankle tape was like. Like, my ankle would not flex in any way, shape, or form, but the tape became like a spring, and you just replaced your ligaments, essentially, with artificial ligaments, with tape. I think Julio Jones That's what Julio just does. needs to be, every piece of his body that is like ligament, replace it with tape. Just tape him up, every joint, fingers, elbows, wrists, knees, ankles, tape him solid, and just send them out there. Maybe, say, that's, Go get uh, it done. maybe that's what they're saving for the playoffs. Now, when you get hit, it doesn't matter. It's all the tapes absorbing it all. Now all you got to deal with is muscle injuries, soft tissue. I don't know how you can fix that, but maybe pads. You should have those two. But, like but every joint just gets taped solid. Are
1: you ready for Sunday Night Football? <laughs> yeah. Chiefs 20, Titans 17. What a crazy game. This was a record-setting game, Sam. <laughs> because uh, Patrick Mahomes goes 43 for 68 for 4.46. So he threw for
0: 4.46 on 6.6 yards per attempt. Whereas Malik Willis goes 5 for 16 for 80. I'm kind of sad that the Titans didn't pull this off and win the game because they came into this game winning five of the last six against the Chiefs. 2-1 and one against Mahomes, with the one being the playoff game, unfortunately. But, like, if they'd won, <laughs> like six, six out of the last seven against the Chiefs, including a 3-1 record against Mahomes, despite not having a starting quarterback in this game. That would have been nuts. Yeah. This was um impressive comeback by the Chiefs, man,
1: because, look, not every game is going to be perfect and clean, but the Chiefs pull it off. That's huge for them. Game flow-wise, Chiefs get up 9 nothing. There's a miss, missed extra point. The missed extra point by Harrison Butker and later a missed field goal by Butker end up looming large here. But the Titans, you know, part of it was game plan, but they just... They hung tough, right? They're down nine-nothing in Kansas City. I thought Chris did a great job saying, All right, you survived the, you know, the early onslaught. You survived, you know, a couple rounds of haymakers, and it's only nine-nothing. And then they trudge back Derrick Henry reeling off big runs. And before you know it, it's 14-9, and then it's 17 to 9 Titans. And their defense is just playing at that line of physicality. We're gonna we're gonna get hands-on receivers, we're gonna get hands-on Travis Kelsey. We're going to have contact at the catch point, And if they call it, they call it. Mm. And the Titans did a really good job, man, of limiting this Chiefs offense in the middle of the game. And then the absolute turning point was Patrick Mahomes with his legs. And in, it was a third and 17 that he picks up. He has a 14-yard scramble for a touchdown. I mean, those are the plays the Titans chose to not spy him, to use the extra players in coverage, in part because they were taking away Kelsey. But the Titans were relying on their defensive line to keep them contained. And it is so tough, right? You hear this on broadcast all the time. If there's four linemen, there's six, there's six gaps to cover. But there's only four linemen. So you need really athletic players to be able to keep Mahomes or anyone in the pocket. And Mahomes just took advantage, man. I mean, those, those last couple drives, 13 plays, 93 yards in the fourth quarter, down eight, and then tying it up on the two-point conversion, uh, pretty much on the back of Mahomes' legs that was spectacular finish here for the chiefs
0: do you have an explanation for how tennessee was able to do this because this okay they lost so it doesn't really matter in the big picture but this game would have made a lot more sense if they just gotten blown out you know and it would be like okay tennessee was able to do a good job against the bad teams in their schedule this this year but then they go and play the chiefs and they're just not able to hang at that level especially without their quarterback right with malik willis but Malik Willis comes in and actually starts playing really well, generally. Um, okay, they still didn't ask him to do a ton. Early a, on, he made some nice throws. Yeah, and he had a bunch of nice plays. Again, he was kind of getting led down by receivers at times. You know, the, the Tommy Tremble dropping a P.J. Walker pass. It's like, look, you're dealing with a quarterback that isn't the best guy in the world. When he actually puts a dime into your hands, give him the service of catching it. Like... Malik Willis dropped a couple of really nice passes in early and his receivers didn't come up with it. You're like, come on. Like, this is go- This is not... This guy's trying to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes in the game. The least you can do is do with ma- what Mahomes receivers do when he makes some absurd play, you know, runs to right field, sidesteps a guy, throws it back across his body, and you have to make a contested catch over the middle. Make the contested catch, you know? And the Titans guys weren't getting that done. But they had a really good game plan, I think, on both sides of the ball and really took it to the Chiefs in a way nobody else really has this year.
1: Yeah, the, the records that were set here were the biggest differential in pass attempts, I believe, 68-16, to 16, <laughs> in completions, 43-5, to five,
0: and just everything was the, our, crazy. Our friend Josh Dubow had a tweet that says the Titans didn't complete a pass to a wide receiver all game. The only team since 2000 that didn't have a completion to a wide receiver were the Patriots in that wind game against Buffalo, you know, where nobody passed the ball, right? The Broncos, when Kendall Hinton, their wide receiver, was the quarterback because they didn't have any quarterbacks. And then apparently the Texans managed it with the David Carr quarterback in a game against the Steelers back in 2002. So essentially this doesn't happen in the NFL. No. And and Malik Willis, it was his first pass, right?
1: Uh, Yeah. Guanquo on the 48-yard tight end screen. Uh So 48 of his 80 passing yards. Came in that one play. Came on the first play. And that didn't lead to points on the first drive. Right? So, yeah, a lot of nothing makes sense. There was a 56-yarder for Derrick Henry. That flipped the field. Henry found the end zone twice. They were running early. But, look, the Chiefs just stacked the box and said, all right, Malik Willis, make more of those throws. Uh, the back shoulder to Austin Hooper was awesome. The bomb to was it Westbrook? No, uh, Chris Conley Through Chris Conley's hands. Those are plays. Conley screwed it. And then there was make. a
0: deep pass to Westbrook Akine that could have been a catch. It was kind of a jump ball, but that like, was you like know, you want to. That was like those Justin Jefferson plays earlier. You need right? to. Work. Yeah. It's like it's not a bad play that you didn't come up with it, but you kind of want to come up with those, you know?
1: Yep. Um, and then the
0: Chiefs, their
1: running backs, 14 yards on 13 carries one was a fullback dive on third and one that got stuffed as well um the chiefs also uh was it overtime they didn't go they they went for the they went for the win in overtime and they still got stopped right the titans still locked down in the red zone i mean that's why that's why you can't figure out the titans right it's because they're good in the red zone on both sides of the ball they just on offense can't get to the red zone once they get there they score but they don't get there very often. Once they got there twice, they scored. They don't get there very often. Everything in between was terrible. The Titans had zero net yards in the second half of that game.
0: Yeah. Somebody in the uh, in the chat is suggesting that we we change the PFF app to just give the opposite of what we pick for the game. You know, that's, yeah. that, that should be our money-making system. That's probably a good idea. Um, this game was intriguing because it felt like a game where... I wonder how much uh, success can be predicated on figuring out how the, receive, or how, how the officials are calling a game early and adjusting to that. This f- game was one where the officials basically decided pretty early on that we're not going to call anything, you know? Every now and again, we'll be like, you know what? We haven't called anything in a while. We should probably throw a flag here. And they seem to just toss a flag randomly be like, yeah, that, that felt like holding. But generally, the approach to this game was, let them play, you know? Just, this is this is a prime time game. It's, it's Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. It's two AFC powerhouses. Just let them play football, you know? Playoff, we, don't, yeah. we don't want to be the story here. Let that, the players deal with this. And so you could basically beat up receivers and nobody was going to throw a flag. You could generally hold. Nobody was going to throw a flag. You could get physical. And this was a game where, you know, they made a lot of this on the broadcast. Going into this game, it was going to be a chippy game, you know? The Chiefs were pissed off because they got physically dominated the last time they played the Titans. The Titans wanted to do it again. So this was going to be a chippy physical encounter. And the officials' response to this apparently was just to step back and say, have at it, gents. See you on the other side. Um, But I think that affected Kansas City generally more than it affected Tennessee. And it felt a little bit like, remember that famous game where the Patriots – DBs just decided to mug the Colts in the playoffs to the point where they had to reemphasize what illegal contact was in the offseason. It's like, yeah. hey, you know illegal contact and we're a little bit unclear as to where the line is? Well, that's over it, you know? Just, just for everybody, that was over the line. That's and we're going to start that again, draw the line here, can't do that. That's what this game was. Like, it wasn't quite as egregious as that, but it was, it was in the same family, you know, where they just went, eh, just, just play on. Whatever contact you need, just hand fighting. Carry on. And this wasn't even like, I'm not saying this was all one-sided. Like, there was a play where uh, Trent McDuffie was covering, was it Austin Hooper? I just mugged him. It's like, okay, like, Trent McDuffie covering Austin Hooper, the dude's that way, like, yeah. a mile. So you probably have to be a little bit physical. But, like, that was pass interference as well. I'm just saying that. A big part of this game being the way it was, I think, was the officials calling it the way they called it.
1: So the official record, per NFL research, was that the different uh, the completion differential was a record. Is that a thing? Yes. Well, I mean, they found it forty three to five. Forty three to five. <laughs> right, breaking the record of um, it was the uh, the Patriots fifty nine to nothing win against the Titans in the snowstorm in mid October. Where Brady completed 29, but Brian Hoyer also completed nine. So the Patriots completed 38 in that game compared to the Titans' two. 38 to two was the old record. Man, this box score is pretty special. The Titans in that game went uh, the snowstorm in 09. The Titans, Vince Young plus Kerry Collins, combined to go two for 14 for negative seven yards and two interceptions. That's
0: impressive. Mmm that's that's pretty impressive
1: anyway that's why that's why it felt like we're you never know when you're going to see history sam
0: by the way i know there were a lot of penalties in this game but one a lot of them were procedural things that aren't what i'm talking about and two there were a lot of plays in this game yeah like, but, to, but the, the p- titans ran, or the the chiefs ran 91 plays but even that the point that you
1: were making was not that the penalties aren't going to be called it was the old Seahawks yeah. thing too. Sorry. It's like we're gonna, if we are physical on every play,
0: call holding on every play. Sorry, not the, the, when you factor in penalties. The Chiefs ran hundred and one plays. Yeah, so of course there's going to be penalties in the game, particularly when and you're,
1: there was there was a few illegal contacts in there. There yeah. was a few of them, but, right? But,
0: but a lot of these were like procedural penalties. My point being that the things like illegal contact and holding, when they did get called, felt like it's been a while since we've called what was an egregious bit of contact on pretty much every play. Let's throw one now. I think they let an awful lot go in this game relative to other games that you see every single week, including this week.
1: Um, So even though it was ugly for a bit, the Chiefs did go through that stretch where it felt like somebody screwing up on every play. They had a third... uh, uh, McCall Hardman had a third and 17 drop that was open. Mahomes got it there. Mahomes played pretty well. I mean, he played well overall, even as a passer. Um, I know he threw for 446 eventually, but... He played better than that. I mean, that's because he dropped back so many times. He played pretty well. Um, there's a fluke interception in there. Mahomes' legs took over. And bottom line, the Chiefs needed the win. 6-2. and You've got to keep pace with the Bills. Keep pace with everybody in the AFC. Well, not just keep pace because Buffalo dropped the game. Yeah. I mean, you're you're now tied for the best record in the AFC, right? 6-2. Six, 6-2. Six so there
0: you go. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, Mahomes, so played very well. It did feel a little bit like last year at times where the Chiefs were getting frustrated at not being able to get what they usually get going. Chucked an arm punts up in there, yeah. Yeah, there was that one play where he just, like, heaved it into double coverage and just decided, screw it, I'm taking a shot, and got reasonably lucky that that didn't get picked off. Yeah. And that was, what, early in the fourth quarter, so yeah. that, you know. not the third and long,
1: too. It was kind of like a worthwhile risk, but you could tell. I mean, it was like they were taking shots.
0: Yeah. But you're, like, you know, backed up in your own, in your own territory. All that said, the, Mahomes' legs, they were fantastic.
1: They did not—they had a lot of opportunities to put the ball into the end zone um, in overtime and late. I mean, they didn't do it. Uh, they had a few opportunities there, and the Titans really just held strong. Yeah, Titans defense. so much credit for their defense.
0: Their defense did an incredible job, particularly when you consider, you know, the the personnel that they're missing. They're I banged mean, up too. Yeah. Even in this game, they lost a couple of guys, you know, important members of that defense. Um and they just keep showing up. They locked down the Chiefs receivers. Okay, they I think they were aided by the fact that the officials were going to let the game go that way, but The flip side of that is they were also hurt by that because Jeffrey Simmons was getting held quite a lot. (laughs) It's the same idea, right? So swings and roundabouts. But I think the Titans do well when the game is officiated like that. When you're let play, I think the Titans are at their best when they're allowed to be physical and make it a chippy game and you know make things into an arm wrestle as opposed to a track meet. Man,
1: that's why the uh, contrasting styles does make for a fun game but um malik willis man when the ball's in his hands to go win the game it just uh he's scrambling around the the second play second to last play i think it was they were trying to set up a screen you saw the replay none of the receivers were running routes but malik willis looked like he was looking downfield the screen never materialized so he was running around for his life at the end ugly finish for the titans but they uh they played hard six and two chiefs five and three tennessee titans we got football tonight saints and ravens monday night football enjoy that we previewed it on the preview show if you want more on that one that's it for us today we hit every game yeah hopefully another crisp two hours and 15 minutes with half the league on by Mm -hmm. but it's always fun talking nfl with you guys on a monday morning we'll be back on wednesday i think we should review our bets on Wednesday. Oh, the yeah. Mm-hmm. Review, not, not, not the. East <laughs> review our fan bets on Wednesday. <clears throat> yeah. come, come prepared between now and Wednesday. Send some emails if there's things you want to bet on. If you want to say, say you're a Packers fan and you're like, that's it, we're going to run the table. Yes. Right? Good we're going example. to run. We're the, we're the Packers. We're going to run this. We, we don't believe in you anymore. We, we think, or the Rams, another good example. Yeah, the Rams. Rams we're, cannot we're, be I'm a Rams fan. We're, they're going to be fixed. Yep. The offensive line's going to turn it around, whatever good example. it is. Um, send us your best and we'll review where we're at and we'll uh, take some new bets on Wednesday and uh, generally just have some fun.
0: Yeah, and email us in charity suggestions, places we can donate to, and the thing that we have to make Steve do for a sport that he's never played before. I like the kick and field goals. I just just think, you know, since I I, I like the idea of also making this a you thing, you know, it's your turn to be embarrassed.
1: I mean, I think you could say that when I pitched to you, even though it was your embarrassment, I took the brunt of it. Just saying. Residual effect. (laughs) Alright, thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on Wednesday. Go download the PFF app. Do it right now. And hit thumbs up on your way out. Mm. That's it. That's the only thing you need to do. PFF app. Thumbs up. There's your homework. And see you Wednesday.